Hey, sailors. Yeah, oh, Danny, how are you today? I, I meant to what? ask about that. Mark oh, is yeah. wearing a... So Mark wore, a couple weeks ago for our Avatar episode, he wore a captain's hat or something. Yeah, like, a captain hat. A captain hat. And I was like, okay, sure. Much like the person who killed Brennan Fraser in this movie. Um, it makes sense. But today he's wearing a pirate hat. My guess is that's yeah. because we had to watch most of these on YouTube. So we pirated them. <laughs> Man, you're really good at making the connections. I'm wearing this hat because I think I need to wear more silly hats while we record. And I'm just kind of running out of hats. But I, I do think it improves the discourse that we have. Me okay. having this. It, it's, it's honestly it's a, a nice reminder to like, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, no kidding. If we have... If we have someone on, I don't want them to think that it's like so serious or or whatever. It's nice to have a little reminder on my head that we have a we're doing a light show about goofy things. So yeah, that's the explanation for that. It just it bled over into my speech. How are you? I'm you seem lost okay. in thought. My first thing I have several things to talk about. My first thing I need mm. to talk about is how annoyed I am. Is this, I went I parked. Obviously, because I have a car, I just get, I get mad at people who park and they park stupid. There's an area in front of my house where it's always four people can park. Like, that's how many people should be there. But these idiots, these other three cars there, all park with like a foot and a half between them. So I am wedged in at the end and I'm very terrified my car is going to be towed or given a ticket. Because it technically is not where it should be at all. But I'm not going to move it because why would I park like four blocks away when this is very clearly my spot that's available because i'll be like it's like borderline you know it's really just depends on if like a cop is grumpy if they want to give me a ticket mm -hmm. but like it's just really annoying and this is to say that if there is a super genius out there uh an elon musk type that does actually wants to help the world like elon Musk's good twin yeah explain <laughs> Like, the Elon okay. Musk good twin. You know, like, back then, like, Iron Man 2 came out, and everyone was like, oh, yeah, Elon Musk is really cool, and he didn't give us a reason yet to hate him. Um, someone mm -hmm. like that, someone should invent, like, a system for cars. Not like, and I know when you say Elon Musk makes He's it just kind of like we assume that everyone's going to be on a Tesla, but it should be, like, magnets, right? Where, like, you park, and then when another car comes in, your car automatically moves up to be as close to the car in front of you so the next person can slide in. Have you considered keying them? See, I do. I did consider. Okay, so once I, um, a coworker. I don't endorse that. But no, 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 I'm no it's not keying. It, it's if, not have keying. Have you considered it? But once I went on, um, the kit. This was my first year I worked at my job, and we have a rule with our kids that since the parents are promised seatbelts on the bus, if the bus company sends us a seat a bus without seatbelts, we either have to wait for a new bus. Or crowd all the kids on one bus. Um, which is usually fine. It's just that that means the adults need to drive to the field trip instead. And leave like leave like two adults on the bus and the rest of it's just kids. So it's not fun for the adults on the bus. All I'll just say is this was the day that happened. And I had to ride with another coworker, two other coworkers to our field trip. And I remember they were really mad at this person. Because these were two um, 
One of them was a year younger than me, so, and then the, her younger brother is, like, four years younger than me, but they both work with me. And then it was just me in the back, so it was kind of, like, very awkward, like, you know, they're having sibling talk, and I'm like, I don't know how to engage, because we're really not friends. Um, <laughs> but I don't know how to interact here. Um, mm-hmm. I also weirdly remember, I could look up the exact day this happened, because it was a day Sucker, like, the Jonas Brothers single dropped, because we were freaking out over because it was the first Jonas Brothers single in, like, ten years. <laughs> Um, and the radio was playing it. We're like, oh my gosh, it's the new Jonas Brothers song. And her brother was like, "Uh, whatever. Um, but anyway, I just remember we parked at like, it was like a shopping mall complex. And the guy who was parked like across from us was very clearly like jutting forward into like the spot next to us. So it's like the car was in front of us parked, but the, the front of the vehicle was not in our spot. It was somehow in the spot next to us. And yeah. the, the my coworker who drove was like really mad at it. She's like, get to said her I was like, get the paper. And I was like, what? And then she turns to me and like, oh yeah, um, our uncle does this thing where he prints out these sheets of paper for us and gives it to us whenever he sees it, where it's like, it just says, nice parking asshole. And we put it on the car that parked bad and then we walk away. And I'm like, oh, okay. So I kind of, that, that was my feel when I saw the, because it's literally every car in front of my house is like this. This is like, I can't, like, I'm sure one, maybe the car in the middle, like, just like, you know, tried to park in the middle between them. So I can't be that mad at that one. But the other two, I'm like, no way, no way is this car, like, no way is this car that's in front, because I'm parked on the end, right? No way is this car at the end couldn't have backed up to reach their, the corner. You know what I mean? It's just them being a jerk. And being somewhat in and then leaving more space in front of them. They should have her move up or move back to the corner. Mm-hmm. So what would you write on your paper, paper like if you yeah, what would you write on it? I I, I mean I I wanna be clear. He didn't write it and she she didn't write it and the brother didn't write it. These were like it was like a something I feel like probably their uncle saw it on Facebook and printed out a ton of them and just handed it to them. <laughs> it was one of those it was it was like a flyer. <laughs> yeah. I feel like <laughs> I feel like you'd want to print something kind of like, I don't know, passive or or even like nice, because then they know that you've seen them, but you know you gave them like a bread recipe or something, and they know they're they know that someone's watching, but at least you know. I think I'm the answer saying. is though we do need like magnetic parking spots. Mm-hmm. Let's. Ex- I always let's think about ex- that. I always think about like things that are like in my mind are like these are such this would be such an easy fix. If, like, an inventor who's smart put their mind to it. Like, magnetic bumpers. But granted, I guess if you accidentally, like, turn them on, that's, like, a massive um, issue. But I'm not a scientist. Yeah, and I think even, like, magnetic parking would be kind of uh, really to danger. I don't know. I don't don't know why. Because that's not, obviously, that's not how it is in New York. Like, there are so many car parks where you just... Well, you if you either park you either park in the middle of the street or you go to one of those um, car tower things. Yeah, and that kind of. Well, takes I live. I don't it. live in deep Chicago. In deep Chicago, yeah, it is like that. Um, mm-hmm. Just side note, I don't know why this conversation reminded me of one of my favorite exchanges I've ever had in my life, and maybe it will come up again on this podcast. And I'm sure I'll drop it again if it's relevant. But I'm gonna drop it now, which is one of my. I feel like in elementary school, you don't have a lot of memories. But one of my biggest memories of elementary school is the time there. I don't. 
I don't remember what the context was. I think maybe I was asked how, like, what would I, if I could wish anything, what would it be and why? And I'd be like, I wish there was no money and we could just have anything. And my teacher just goes, but Danny, you'd ruin the economy. <laughs> and looking back on that, that's like the perfect response. Because it's literally, <laughs> I'm saying, let's get rid of the economy. <laughs> and saying, well, you'd ruin it. <laughs> I was did, like, oh, did you, okay. <laughs> good response. That, that sounds great like teacher. a prologue. What? What? I was just that saying good job. Like, oh, yeah. Well, I mean, that's... They're right, you know. That yeah, sounds like the prologue before some movie that's like... Whatever that anime is that um, is from China about young Karl Marx. That's like the okay. opening scene. And then it's like... Doo, 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 da, 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 da. Like Carl that's how Marx. it begins, yeah. It's funny. I don't know. What are you? What are your? What are your thoughts on getting rid of money, Danny? I mean, they don't really exist anymore. I do think it's funny to be like, I don't know. The whole the whole concept is so bizarre because it's like if you got rid of money, no one would want to do anything. Okay, but we have automation now. Okay, but if we had automation, who would build the robots? And it's like I don't care anymore. <laughs> like you know, it's one of those things where as a as both a kid and an adult, like, you want to put me in that thought experiment, I'll give you a couple answers, and after I'll be like, okay, let's move on. <laughs> you know? It's just something I'm like, this is, I, I recognize this. It's like the time I pissed my dad off, um, because we were driving home from a college visit, and I was, like, half asleep, and um, I grew up in the part of Indiana, the really small sliver of Indiana that's central time zone, so we were visiting Michigan, and so we had to go to the eastern time zone. I just remember just setting my dad, I'm like, dad, we should abolish time zones. And he just goes, what? That's one of the dumbest things I've ever heard. Which immediately made me like, be like, okay, so now I'm going to argue about this for an hour. Because I don't think it's that stupid. <laughs> like, like, I would I would have been immediately, like, I would have, like, had this be a throwaway thing if he wanted to be a throwaway. But if he's going to call it dumb, <laughs> this is going, he's going to regret that. <laughs> yeah, whenever we have to upload episodes, I have to remember what like global mean time means because that's how the thing works online mm. and i guess that makes sense but I, I mean i guess i i understand why i understand both sides of that in fact this is a very smart thing that i'm saying but yeah i don't know that's it's funny that you that was such an old experience that you had with the teacher about getting rid of money because yeah. i don't have any like I don't really have, like, young memories about that. That is more of a new thing that I've been thinking about. But it's a tough nut. Even even though, you know, nothing that we do is, like, natural, necessarily. Like, the markets have emerged out of something, you know. And uh, a system of exchange does exist. So, it's like, if you got rid of... If you got rid of money, would something like credit still exist? You know? Would how i just i don't know it's that's really fascinating to me to think about like how resources could be allocated in other ways maybe instead of trading money we would trade whale juice yeah in years of our lives wait isn't that well, a movie that's a justin timberlake movie isn't it <laughs> i th don't you mean in time yeah they trade yeah. years of their lives <laughs> yeah <laughs> Well, it's good because money has no value in itself, but I think I think whale juice does. So wasn't wasn't the, the tagline of that movie like "Time is money" or something yeah, I think like so. that? <laughs> yeah, it's like that's literally the premise. I never saw that. 
And you know, if you think what, about it, time is money is the whale juice thing too. You know what that reminds me of? Do you know you remember the movie Takers? I remember the poster, I never saw it, but I remember yeah, the but, poster like going viral. Yeah, well I, I think about that because like in time, it's one of those things I remember only through advertisements. Yeah. Because of the Idris Elba line were takers, gents. And it's funny that that movie that was like small budget, two thousand whatever, has such staying power. I mean, now. I think, I think, um, and I'll get into this more later. I was re- looking at some old movie trailers. My old, I mean, like the last five years. Um, and there was a part where you know, right now we're in this like, I don't want to say renaissance, but it's like this thing where this wacko horror. That's what I'm calling it. Like, wha- maybe that should be the trend. Like, I make up page on letterbox called wacko horror canon where it's like the current age of big horror mainstream hits are just like the weirdest movies because i feel like it kicks off of malignant and then barbarian was a big deal last year and right now everyone's hyped about megan um i just feel like it's a new trend where like everything is you know we're making something really weird and kind of obviously kind of memey but also like we want to be gonzo and fun and also kind of creepy. And I'm like, okay, I like this trend. But the reason I say this is I was looking at 2019, which I think this I think this trend really like popped off post pandemic. I think, you know, 2019, like I think 2018, 19 and the leftovers in 2020 that happened to be released in 2020 is still stuck in that we're chasing get out social horror type of thing. Whereas now we're getting back into weirdo horror. Um but my point now, is Do you have examples about things besides get out that were social horror um the really bad janelle monet movie i never watched antebellum um, oh yeah promising young woman i think don't worry darling is also still it's a leftover of it but i think don't worry darling is also chasing chasing get out um candy man remake obviously is chasing get out um mm-hmm. and i know that one's weird because peel's involved but he you know he didn't direct it so i feel like i can still say that um but you know what i mean like it's pretty much yeah. anytime there's like and even stuff like Knives Out, which isn't a horror movie, also feels like to me it's chasing the get out zeitgeist in a way. But anyway, um, what I was going to say is I was looking at 2019 and I was like, oh yeah, I never saw Ma and I never saw Greta. But I feel like these two were both ahead of the curve. And like if they came out now, everyone would be like, they would be way more successful because everyone would be like memeing about it. Ma was memed about, but it was not like memed to success the way like I think Megan is about to be. Just watch this episode will come out and Megan will... This We're recording this the day before Megan comes out. I'm like, just watch Megan's gonna bomb at the box office. <laughs> It'll be really I don't funny. think Megan will bomb. I don't think Megan will bomb either. I don't think we'll open at number one. But that's because yeah. Avatar The Way of Water is still selling out shows across the nation. With the blue dogs and all yeah. that jazz. Speaking it's of inter- Avatar 2... Oh, yes? Oh, wait. Did you want to talk about something? Well, I just wanted to say... Respond to Because you said something... Yeah, because kind of what really sticks out to me about a lot of these things is actually that they seem, especially something like Malignant, seems very referential. Like, it seems like a reimagining of something from, like, the 70s and 80s. And so I I just wanted to push back a little bit on that because I think that they're... Well, but I think you can say the same thing about Megan. Megan is just Chucky. You know? Yeah, <laughs> actually, well, actually, that's what I'm was saying about a lot of these things is that I think I, it, you know, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be wrong about Get Out and obviously Get Out had things. I really, really, us might be the most original air quotes 
Jordan Peele film, but I think a lot of these films are um, remixes of, aesthetically anyway, of films from the 70s and 80s. I think, though, there's a key difference. I don't, I don't want to get too much into this, but I think about all the time when everyone was hyping up Last Night in Soho before it came out. Where it's like, this is Edgar Wright trying to make a Giallo throwback film. And there were a lot of people were like, well, Malignant did it better. I don't think Malignant really is being Giallo, except for the um, the one scene at a hotel. But, like, I just think it's interesting because, you know, then you have... Because I don't include Last Night in Soho. I think Last Night in Soho is chasing Get Out. It's not chasing... It's not being wacko. And it's this weird thing where it's trying to be multiple... It, I, I don't want to talk about Last Night in Soho, but my point is, is like... That is a movie that I don't think has any staying cultural power at all. It came out a year ago and no one's talking about it yet. There are still a bunch of geeks who will be like, anytime like a horror movie trailer comes out, make a joke about like Gabriel or whenever like someone, like the Waffle House thing, right? The Waffle House meme with the person, you saw that, right? Yeah, what does that have to do with Malignant? Because <laughs> I saw an edit on Twitter that had a ton of retweets where it's Malignant throwing the chair and the Waffle House guy catching it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that's my well, thing is like these things have cultural staying power even if malignant did not necessarily do well at the box office and that's also because of like pandemic and stuff i think gabriel is one of the more talked about movie monsters movie villain like horror i i he's he's a horror icon he's 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 a he's a horror icon and i think megan's about to become one too as long as the movie's good but even well, if the movie isn't good i'm sure they'll make a megan too yeah, I think Megan Megan or might Megan take 33. a little while to become a you know <laughs> horror icon, but I'm sure she'll get there. But it won't be after this movie. Can we get Megan versus Gabriel, please? Sure. Yeah. There, um, those, isn't James Wan producing like every horror movie now? Well, the reason I bring up Malignant is written by two people. One of them is the writer of Megan, so that's the main reason I've been excited for Megan because it's the same writer as Malignant. I'm like, yeah, this might still yeah. be weirdo. If That's I what just, I do. What? Hmm? No, what were you going to say? I was just kind of going to repeat myself. No, I just, even though I never really loved these, I do think it would be really funny now to have crossovers with different horror characters. Well, I think it's this thing where also, you know, as you said, we're bringing back all these horror characters constantly. And we're, we weren't really making new ones for a while. Because, like, as I said, we were in the social horror phase where, like, the villain was society. Um, I think the Tevered are kind of iconic, but I don't, th- and Jean- I, th- I think Nope is more of a sci-fi than a horror. I mean, it's sci-fi horror, but you can't push Jean Jacket into any horror movie, you know? He's, he's a sci-fi creature. But, I think you could put the Tethered in, like, a crossover of some kind. But I do think just something where, like, Megan versus Malignant could be done on a low budget and everyone would be hyped for it, you know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I would be hyped. Like, um, and I don't know if I'll get to see Megan for a while. I'm yeah. not. What was the last horror movie that came out that I kind of missed? You saw Barbarian on HBO, I know. I did see Barbarian. I'm glad that I did that. But then, I mean, Barbarian's fun. Barbarian's just a good, solid film. There was some film in between Barbarian. Smile is the one that I hadn't <sighs> seen. I hated it. That was, didn't like Smile. Yeah, but it's the kind of thing that I. It's like Lights Out. I should watch it just to educate myself. Don't like Lights Out. <laughs> don't like Lights Out. <laughs> Yeah, but, I mean, once you've seen it, then you know I, what's up. All right, I'll, I'll, I'm going to repeat this one last time, because I, I know I said a lot, but it, I need if James Wan is listening, he needs to hear me. Megan versus Annabelle won't be exciting. They're the same type of thing. Megan versus Gabriel, who knows who won that? 
Come on, dude. <laughs> yeah. Um, Avatar 2. Update. I took it's my dad still to there. It. I took my dad to it. Yes. He thought it was good. He had two two opinions on it, which was the underwater 3D was marvelous and a lot more military than I expected. Mm-hmm. But the reason I wanted to bring up Avatar 2 was I saw this at a LIMAX in Indiana, which means it did not have the high frame rate 3D, which... Now makes me more confident saying the high frame rate 3D rules. <laughs> um, I'm just going to call it one scene in particular, then we'll move on. Because again, we've talked about Avatar enough on this podcast. But one scene to me that to me is like one of the absolute best scenes of Avatar 2 in HFR. Which is like an absolute no one cares in normal 3D. Is the scene where the crab mechs are chasing them in the water. Because the sense of speed with that HFR is, like, insane. I I feel like I should have made that point. Is like, we were talking about, like, in our Incredibles episode, how it's impossible to get, like, the sense of speed that The Incredibles gives you in that sequence. But I actually do think the underwater chasing with the crab mechs in Avatar 2 gets there with the HFR. Because it's like, oh my gosh, this thing is moving for them so quick. And, like, I remember very specifically, there's this pan... Where the crab mech happens to be there and it lunges at them. And it like actually made me jump the first time I saw it in 3D. But in HFR. But in this it's just kind of like, oh, yep, it's there. And it's waiting for them because the camera's paying over not as quick. Like, not, you know, you get what I'm saying, right? The sense of speed yeah. isn't as there. And it is, I don't want to say it's a lesser film because the core film to me is still great. But it's like, ooh, I wish I wish you could have taken my, well, maybe my dad would have hated it. But the HFR, but HFR was great. I, I think people should see it in HFR. If you, I don't yeah, know, I, people shouldn't like see it, but you know, I recommend seeing it in the high frame rate if anyone out there hasn't yet and would like to. But yes. yeah, it's funny that you mentioned the crab chase scene because that that is the point that I remember specifically as the point where I was like, all right. But the uh, sense of speed though was so good in that scene. That's my point though. It's like, that's I, I, I get I get that I, I kind of getting that's not I don't want to say I'm getting tired of the movie at that point but it is getting to the point where it's like all right so I guess we that's I think that's the moment where I realized okay so this is the third act we, we've made it like we we're here um, yeah but I do think the sense of speed there is like oh my gosh what is going on and then without it it's like what about the high frame rate it's like <laughs> but yeah, yeah good movie I'll probably go see it a fourth time I'll keep you posted mm. you although gonna... I'm pretty sure any updates on Avatar for now will just be like. Saw it a fourth time. Moving on. Um, we should do Danny's Avatar corner. Yeah. And then eventually someone will be... And you can drop like Avatar news for me and be like, so James Cameron says there'll be a fire uh, Navi tribe. What is your take on this? And my take would just be, cool. Mm. Um, that would be good Good radio. Yeah. Do you want um, do you want to do the other thing I had before the Letterbox game? I don't remember the other thing you had. So... One thing I do every year, well, I've been doing this since 2017, is I keep track of the trailers I see at the movies, and then I add them up to figure out, like, what my most watched trailer of the year is, and stuff like that. So, what I'm doing now, finally, is transferring that data, which I keep on a Microsoft multiple Microsoft Word documents, to Letterboxd. Um, at the time of this recording, I have not published them, because I want to put them all up at once, so a bunch of the lists are on private. Um, I've got a couple more to do, 
But anyway, what I was going to say is I have in front of me my top 10 trailer given ever. I wanted Mark, I want you to try to guess the top 10 with the caveat that there are actually 11 films here, but there are multiple films with the same number at the bottom. So if you miss one of them, that's okay. Because, mm. all right. So to be clear, to make this easier for Mark and the listeners who don't want to play along, even though I think this is just something we have to guess. Like, the point of this game is to guess what movie trailers are attached to everything, right? I started doing this tracking yeah. in 2017. What I will point out is that since I started in 2017, I don't believe any of these films are from 2017 because a lot of these movies have layovers. And one thing you can discover very quickly is that it is very recent heavy because of the pandemic constantly delaying these movies and putting the trailers back out there in the world. Um, oh, interesting. But I also have a year breakdown if you'd like the year breakdown before you do guessing. Um, no, I'll just go for okay. it. Um, Ant-Man and the Okay, Wasp. okay. I will add one thing to this. I, say. I removed the, <laughs> These are only movies that have come out so far. Ant-Man and the Wasp is currently... I don't think Ant-Man and the Wasp actually... Um, let me open it up. Uh, I don't think Ant-Man the... You mean Ant-Man and the Wasp? I think not, Ant-Man and the Wasp will make this list. Is not out? Ant-Man and the Wasp would oh. not... Ant-Man and the Wasp would not make this list, though. Ant-Man and the Wasp right now would come in at the 27 to 30 range. That's at 14 watches so far. 14 trailers got it. But thank you, Spider-Man! Hmm. You know, side note, I did I send you, text you that? Is that I was mad that the Ant-Man trailer didn't come out yesterday? I texted that's no, a bunch. Of, I didn't know there's another. No, one? no. Here's there's one coming on Monday. By the time this episode's out, that the second trailer will be out. I don't know if the trailer's good or not. I just I I'm mad that they couldn't put it out this week. Because this means when I go see Megan, the dumb, <laughs> the dumb Ham in the Wasp trailer. Thank you, Spider Man, is going to be there, and I'm going to be very annoyed. I'll just be like, can you just give me a new one so I don't have to watch this again? Okay. So. Unfortunately, that was my best guess. Well, that that doesn't count as a um, guess because I forgot to tell you okay. it wasn't eligible. Every movie's been released. All right, and it goes back as far as 2018, right? Um, yes, because I started tracking 2017, but none of the 2017 films, because they were at the beginning of the year, made it in. But okay. there was a film from 2018 in here. I'll give you that. Is it Thor: Love and Thunder? Thor Love and Thunder came Is out in 2021. Is that your guess? Oh. That's a guess, yeah. Thor Love and Thunder is not in the top 10. Let's see if it's in the top. It's Thor Love and Thunder comes in at 11. Um, so it's in the 49 to 59 range. Can I just give you the year breakdown? Yeah, okay. sure. There is a film from... I have so many windows open. There's a film from 2018. One film from 2018. Five films from 2019. Three films from 2021. And two films from last year. So we can do this in order if you'd like. By year. Alright. Do you just want me to go through it? Yeah, I just need to hear them. Okay, I can't... Okay. Like... Well, before I do this, I want to say my top film from each year that is not... Because I never go to the movie ...represented theater. is the best, the most trailers I got... And 2020 is for Wonder Woman 1984, which I got 15 times. And the most for someone in 2017, which is, I don't have the number in front of me because I didn't care about opening it because it's not the full year, was Kingsman 2. 
The Golden Circle, which I'm still watching. I'm sorry, the movie is just so long. I've been watching it for six years now and I still have not left the theater. Um, anyway. <laughs> um, the, the, so then, okay. I'm, work, I'm gonna work my way backwards. So starting in, so with 17 appearances at the movie theater each, Mission Impossible Fallout, which is the oldest film on this list, which had the trailer of Imagine Dragons going, can't fight the friction, boom, 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 pff, boom. Um, number eight was Wonder Park. Do you remember that movie? Sorry. No, what's Wonder, Wonder Park? Wonder Park is a movie that famously does not have a director um, because the director was removed from the film two months before release because of, um, I believe, either sexual harassment. I think it was sexual harassment claims. Ergo, the film was released because so- it an animated movie and there's no rules of the DGA there it was released without a director credit so it just cuts to the cast wow. list and then it goes to producers um it's not good um n- then Rocket Man uh Godzilla King of the Monsters and West Side Story those are all at 17 appearances each okay mm-hmm. then at 18 appearances each is How to Train Your Dragon 3 The Hidden World and The Secret Life of Pets and that gets us to our top four. You ready for this? And this is where the yes. pandemic delays really come into effect. With 19 appearances, starting with Jumanji 2, the next level, released in December 2019, and ending with Venom Let There Be Carnage, is No Time to Die. Then, okay. at 21, which is the third most, is In the Heights. Which... First trailer got at Jumanji 2. Last trailer got at the Music Boxes Festival of 35mm films they showed right the weekend before they had in the Heights. Um, okay, and so this next one, this will be the last one. I So these are the final two, and I want to say these are asterisks. Because the thing is about number one, is that number one... So, second place has 25 appearances, and number one has 26 appearances. However... Two, the first two 26 appearances are part of a sizzle reel where the, the studio announced its upcoming films. So really, the second place film would be on top on pure trailer counts. But also, I guess I, I'm making this too complicated. So the second film is Avatar The Way of Water. Um, which I also realize that's also not fair because it's been inflated by the three watches of... So I think number one is still top six. I also put in the post credit scene of the remasters as trailers. But those aren't really trailers. So the number one is Black Panther Wakanda Forever. 26. Mm-hmm. You impressed by mm. these stats? Yeah, I mean I don't I don't wanna be a f I don't wanna be a douche. Um, why do you do this? I've, why do you do this? <laughs> no, not even why do you do this? This is this is about a difference in our watching habits, because I was thinking about this. I was like, I'm gonna keep track of this in my brain and I hope that it doesn't make me seem like an asshole the only one of those movies that i've seen all the way through actually the only two of them are avatar 2 and godzilla king of the monsters i mean but the fact is and some of these i haven't like, seen i don't think i've seen wonder park well i don't, don't know fact if anyone's me. seen wonder park <laughs> and maybe i watched that work and i don't remember don't fact check me <laughs> but it's like that's just not the way i, I didn't i see, see mission impossible with you which one this is the most recent mission possible the one where tom cruise is um Flying helicopters. Which which fucking one is the one we saw when we were in college? Easy. It was out when we were the summer of college. When I was in college, um, when I graduated. Yeah, maybe. 
I don't know. You, you don't know. I, I don't remember anything from that. Well, it's okay. That's well. To be, f- we'll have an entire episode of Mission Impossible at some point, so I don't need to drop my Mission Impossible takes now. But I, I don't think a Mission Impossible movie is bad because you forgot what happened in it. I think this just makes it a Mission Impossible movie. You know, <laughs> they're designed to be disposable. Uh, yeah, sure. I mean, like Lay's chips are delicious, but does the world need them? Do we want to move on Letterboxd game because you're mad? I'm not mad. Not I'm mad. just like <laughs> Letterbox time. Yeah, ready for a real game? Letterbox game where we, <coughs> Mark, tries to guess movies based on films that Letterbox says we might also enjoy. So if Letterbox it recommends Big Hero Six and Megamind at the bottom of the page, the movie it might be talking about is Spider could be Spider Man into the Spider Verse. We'll start by listing five recommended movies. None of which that share a director or a franchise with the original film. After each wrong guess, I'll give a hint to help you out. So, Mark, you ready for round one? Again. Yes. These are all put in ten films. All I've watched semi-recently. These are ordered from popularity, from most popular to least popular. All right? Mm-hmm. All right. Round one. Your five films are... Boogie Nights. Pain and Gain. Train Spotting, Scarface, Brian De Palma version, and Blow. Not the old, old wow. Scarface. <laughs> is it The Wolf of Wall yes, Street? Yes, it is The Wolf of Wall Street. Hey. Um, your five additional films eventually would have been, if you're curious, American Hustle, Pulp Fiction, War Dogs, and Spring Breakers. And cool. I did not have to remove anything yet. There were no Scorsese films in the top ten. Eventually, I would have had to remove Casino and Goodfellas, but we did not get there. All right. Mm-hmm. Round two? Yes. Okay. Your five films are Avengers, Age of Ultron, The Avengers, Avengers Infinity War, Captain America Civil War, and The Amazing Spider-Man 2. There's something that just came out that I felt like you didn't think you were going to like it, and then you did. But I can't remember what that was. Plenty of movies like that in the world. Yes. Um, I don't know. The Justice League Snyder Cut. I finally sat down and checked that it out. It is not the Snyder Cut. The Snyder Cut is in the top 25. Your next hint mm. is... You don't get a hint! Ha ha! Guess again. Hmm. Let me think. Wah wah wah. Is it... What superhero movies came out this year? Because we already did Wakanda Forever. Yeah, I can't think of a... I don't know. Did you... Ant-Man and the Wasp? Ant-Man and the Wasp is not... Ant-Man and the Wasp is not in the top 25. Your next hint is... You get... um, The year. The year this film came out is 2016. It's not Endgame, but like... Do you want to guess Endgame? What else could it be? No, is it? Well, because the people would have been in Endgame too. Is it? Is it the the original Justice League? The original Justice League cut. Yeah. No, but that one is also in the top twenty-five. So your next hint is you get five additional movies. So I'll do a full. I'll say the five, and then I'll do the full recap afterwards. So your five additional movies are. Thor The Dark World, Spider-Man 3, Venom, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, and Venom Let There Be Carnage. 
And as a reminder, your other five were Avengers Age of Ultron, Avengers, Avengers Infinity War, Captain America Civil War, Amazing Spider-Man 2. So that's all ten of them. Mm-hmm. Thor 2, Spider-Man 3, Venom Venom 2, Doctor Strange 2. Is this the third Thor movie? Thor Ragnarok is your guess? Yeah. It is not Thor Ragnarok. Thor Ragnarok is not in the top 25. So... This was your fourth guess. So now you get the actor that is billed, the number of numbers you've hit in the top 25. Now, I believe you've hit the top 25 right twice, correct? Yes. So that means you will get the third billed actor. Because if you didn't hit any of them, that's when you get the first mm. billed actor. The third billed actor in this movie, according to Letterboxd, is Margot Robbie. Is it Birds of Prey? No, it's not Birds of Prey. Um, is it Suicide Squad? It is indeed Suicide Squad great i rewatched suicide squad with front of the podcast and future guests caleb s bun and former guest and friend of the podcast joe Schrimmers. their podcast hot trash unlimited did a commentary track like a year ago of it that i hadn't even get around to listening to so i watched suicide squad with their commentary wow I'm curious, is it, if you go on their podcast, does it tell you how to set that up if you want to do that? You just, you know, you just press play and then they go like, all right, we're clicking the movie in three, two, one. My goal at some point is for one of my podcasts to do a commentary. I know very specifically what and when I want to do it, but it is a while off. Um, and but it's a secret? Yeah, it's a, it's a snub club movie that won't be hitting until the 90s, so not really, okay. not really relevant yet. Work still in the 1950s, so... Okay. All right, you cool. ready for the last round? Yep. Your five films are Fresh, Get Out, The Invitation. This is the Karen Kusama film, not the one from this year. Tusk and Burnt. Is is this X? X. Yeah, because either X or Pearl was a correct one in a, in a previous episode, but I don't remember which one was right. It is not X. Hmm. Okay. Is it Barbarian? No, but Barbarian is in the top 25. Mm. So your next hint is the year this film came out. This came out in 2022. It'd be like Malignant 2, the time that Danny watched it with the rowdy crowd. I don't think that changes the movie and the movie came out, but okay. Halloween Ends. Halloween Ends? It is yeah. not Halloween Ends. Halloween Ends is not in the top 25. So next, you get mm-hmm. five additional movies. I will give you the five movies, then I'll recap the full list. The five additional movies are The Hunt, Us, Midsummer, Velvet Buzzsaw, American Psycho. So the total list is Fresh, Get Out, The Invitation, Karakusama film, Tusk, Burnt, The Hunt, Us, Midsummer. Velvet Buzzsaw, American Psycho. This isn't it, but I don't know. Did you watch The Gift? Which The Gift? Oh, man. I don't know. The the one that may have come out this year, but I don't think it did. The Joel Edgerton one? Sure. The Joel Edgerton one came out in 20, actually 2015 and is not The Gift. So you hit, cool. you hit Barbarian, right? That was the only one you hit, right? Because yeah. next you get the film, the actor... That's build the number of guesses you hit in the top 25. So you get the second build actor. Second build actor is Anya Taylor-Joy. Is it the Northman? 
is not the north that's, that's not this year is that your guess i already said it wasn't um yeah i'll guess the northman it's not the northman the northman is not in the top 25 so your final guess is you get the director so after this i can give you a full recap of all your hints because this is the final guess oh wait i've got it it's the menu it is the menu i was gonna say the director's mark mylod it's the menu it's all a pause of the menu Raytheon's is top. I forgot, I forgot to do my recap, by the way. I'll give you the I'll give the menu recap after I give the Suicide Squad recap, because I always do it. Is the first two build actors in Suicide Squad are Will Smith and Jared Leto. Yes, Jared Leto is second build in Suicide Squad, despite being in it for five minutes. And for the Suicide Squad list, I had to remove Justice League, even though Mark hit it, Birds of Prey, the Suicide Squad, you know, the 2021 one, The Dark Knight, Black Adam, Snyder Cut, even though Mark hit it. Um, and then for the menu, I had to remove Ray Fiends. But yes. How was the menu? It's great. Well, I really I saw it in advanced screening, so I'm always a little predisposed, but I, I thought it was really fun. I mean, here's the, the reason I like it, and I know a lot of people don't like it, um, for the reason, the opposite reason I'm about to say is I like that it doesn't, like, unlike every other movie nowadays with, like, about eating the rich, like, Triangle of Sadness, and even Glass Onion, which I like, I do think it very much is aware that, like, this is just a window dressing for a dumb, pulpy comedy, and I appreciate that aspect of it. It's got some tense sequences, mm-hmm. but I don't ever feel like it is... I don't ever think it's being, like, up its own ass, you know? feels very unpretentious mm-hmm. despite it being about that. So... Is Triangle of Sadness up its own ass? Yes, very. I don't like that movie. Um, so... Mm. So just so we uh so I can say what movies I saw the other popular films I saw that were in the the mix this time from order from most popular to least popular is Black Panther Wakanda Forever which we had never guessed on this show and I presume since recording this after the menu went up on HBO Max that is why the menu is above it because I'm very surprised the menu is above Black Panther Wakanda Forever um but it is um so Black Panther Wakanda Forever uh this is the end the wind rises rrr his girl friday the little rascals and cat on a hot tin roof that is our ones we did not hit this time oh before we move on to our episode i did want to give a special shout out to a certain movie movie that is relevant for our podcast question mark we'll find out but i want to congratulate the new film in theaters right now, the sequel that we waited over 10 years for. That's right. Puss in Boots 2, The Last Wish, was just named the 231st best film of all time by Letterboxd. So congratulations, Puss in Boots. You're going to make it. <laughs> I feel like I want to have that for posterity because I don't think it's going to stay there long. <laughs> I do think that it made it there. It's like, we need to we need to acknowledge that this happened and put it in auditorial like ink. That the Is it is it higher or lower than the original Puss in Boots? Significantly higher. The first Puss in Boots is terrible. Have you seen the trailer for the oh. new Puss in Boots? I've seen the trailer for it, but I didn't know if it was like I thought it was really good. I didn't know I forgot how good the old Puss in Boots it's was. Bad. I actually thought the new I thought the new Puss in Boots was very good. I was very pleasantly I think that's like everyone's letterbox review is very pleasantly surprised by how good this is. Four stars. I think that's essentially everyone's take on it. And I'm like, yeah, I agree. Four stars. Very nice. Yeah. I think that was the movie I was thinking of when I was 
trying to think of what you saw. Oh, that and was then recent. Had a good time that you, I was surprised I liked yeah. Puss in Boots. Yeah. Well, we are not there yet for Puss in Boots. Maybe we'll come up on this podcast again. Um, I do think it will eventually come up on our, um, our podcast, but not like as a film we talk about as just something whenever we get around to the Spider-Verse movies, because I know we talk about at least one of them on our grand schedule, spoiler alert, but not really, because if you look at the director of the new Spider-Verse movie, you notice, hey, that's the guy who directed Soul. So you should know that we will eventually get to them in three or four years' time. Cool. So, I'm glad that that organically came about. Yeah. I, part of me is a little tempted. We'll, we'll discuss this closer to it, but part of me is tempted that we just do a Spider-Verse episode of the first one, even though it's technically not really just because we would eventually cover the sequels, but we can cross that bridge when we're in 20 when we're in the 2018 movies we don't need to figure that out now in 2004 (laughs) (laughs) yeah but now that we're here in 2004 i think it's time we talk a little bit about the what we're here to talk about today yeah that's right what do you pixar pixar has dvds yeah so technically i lied to you because if we remember correctly the incredibles came out in november 2004 ergo None of these movies came out in 2004. Everything we're going to talk about today came out in 2005 because they did not rush out the DVD for Christmas. They wanted the movie to play throughout Christmas and play it did. We already said The Incredibles made a ton of money. And The Incredibles DVD, um, first, before I really get into anything on this episode and even do my intro, I do want to say one thing very sad, which is that I was always going to watch Jack Jack Attack on Disney+, Plus, which I did because... It's on HD on Disney Plus. I only have the DVD of The Incredibles. But Mark, do you want to hear the sad news? Yes. I can't find my DVD copy of The Incredibles. It's very sad. I have no idea where oh, it no. is. But it's okay. I will have to go on without my DVD copy of The Incredibles. I'm probably due an upgrade too, even though I'm sure the upgrade actually... I'm, you know, because like all the Disney Blu-rays now are so like... They have none of the artistry that was put into the old ones. <laughs> the old DVDs, they put in a lot of work into those menus being cool for kids to interact with. We talked about that before. Because I remember yeah. one for this was designed like Syndrome's computer. And you would just go through it. Um, but anyway, we yes, we're talking about yeah. The Incredibles DVD. And specifically, the f- I would count them as four short films that are on this DVD. Because those are... Jack-Jack Attack, which is the only one you can access on Disney+. Plus. Everything else you have to search on YouTube for. And they're all on YouTube in varying qualities. But anyway, Jack-Jack Attack, Mr. Incredible and Pals, Mr. Incredible and Pals with Commentary, which is a separate short, um, and The Incredible Socks. All these mm-hmm. are short films that you can access. The Incredible Socks is actually an Easter egg that you can access. It's not... You can't find it in like the DVD menu, but if you went to the, like you you were a kid messing around with the menu, you might click it and find it and be like, whoa, cool. But Incredible mm-hmm. Socks, and then the other two are two and a half. How do we want to count them? Do we want to say four? Do we want to say three and a half? Do we want to say three short films? How do we want to count that? Um. Well, I don't know how they were given on the. I mean, I think they were given like Mr. Incredible it's and Pals. because I I think it is three, but it is like, you know, it's a scripted commentary. Could have. Yeah. But. All right, so should we just go in order? Or yeah, all right, Jack Attack. Let me stop you right there. I forgot to watch Jack Jack Attack. What? So I remember it, but I am not refreshed on it. Well, Mark, do you know what I this actually... is? What this means? What this means? What? In a little bit of time about Jack <laughs> Attack, you need to get on Disney Plus right now and watch it 
But we will record a commentary over it. So that way... (laughs) So that way the listeners at home can be like, well, if he's watching it, I get to watch it along with him for the first time. So, Mark, you have to make reactions, audible reactions to everything. Oh, right. And I will also talk during it. Is that okay? That's okay. I'm glad that you're making (laughs) content out of this. This is... My punishment will be later. I'll have to say... Now, I'm going to tell you, if you don't want to listen to the Jack-Jack attack commentary, skip to this point in the video. If you don't want to hang out and listen to us go, ooh, and oh, for a few minutes, you can skip to 5410. All right, everyone. (laughs) Jack-Jack attack. We've got it open in Disney+. (laughs) And press play in three, two, one. All right, there's the Walt Disney logo. There's the little Pixar lamp. Very nice. Yeah. Run of the mill. Oh, dark Ooh, screen. Very interesting. Very cool. Whoa. Title card. I love the old style. It actually reminds me of like a Looney Tunes short. Oh, Jack. there spooky. it is. I'm spooked. Ooh. In three dimensions. Could we be watching this in 3D? No, it's a joke about like that? it being 2D and CGI animation. Oh, my gosh. So this is so interesting because this doesn't actually come back until the sequel. Yeah, like, what... This isn't part of the original film, this interrogation scene with the shot reaction shot. Yeah, it's um so... very cool watching this act. Except last time I saw this was pre-Incredibles 2. So now I'm like, oh yeah, there it is. <laughs> yeah. And then it's, well, it's interesting because this is obviously a shot from the movie. She's recounting the story and... But it's in a different aspect with Jack, Jack. Sorry, I don't actually care that much that's a well, new aspect show. No, I mean, that's, that is what interests me. I mean, I'm all about Transformers and all that sort of thing. Bump up the frame rate. Bump up the frame rate. Yeah. This baby seems pretty well rendered. Yeah, actually, now, in general, I think this looks better watched. than the movie. And I don't know why. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's like, I don't know. There he is with his bottle. And and look, now now we're going to yeah. get the audio they recorded for the movie, but they're going to say it into the, like, clearer so we can hear that audio. Oh, he's farting. Mm-hmm. I assume he is. That's I should have done that a good noise. <laughs> That's mm-hmm. Oh, I love that shot. All of these. I, I love... I love how you can do, like, a visual tricks so easily in animation and people just accept them, <laughs> even though they're obviously fake nonsense. He's uh, on the roof and all oh, that sort of thing. What I like about this part is, look at Jack-Jack and, like, how he knows there's a camera at us. He's covering himself, he's yeah. winking at us, basically. A lot of fun. He cheats out. Yeah, I do agree. Like, do they do they have a washing machine in their home in the movie? I don't even remember that detail. Yeah, because it's machine washable, it's... darling. That's a new feature. Yeah, but this this happens in the movie. They haven't said that anything is machine washable yet. Well, that is um that I, that I don't know why he point, prays. It always know. confuses me. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm telling you, don't man. You no matter if it's a short of the original thing, they make some strange gestural choices look, look at that oh she's gonna stab him i want to point out this effect looks better than the human torch and this movie came out the same year as a uh, fantastic four with chris evans mm-hmm. always a good gag to throw a baby in the toilet yeah i like that oh. their house even looks nicer in this yeah well now it and doesn't they've got haha <laughs> <laughs> yeah and I, I forget how honestly Sinru she's a good babysitter she didn't sleep yeah well she's devoted 
And the, the, <laughs> this looks like over the hedge in terms of all the things they've got going on in the background. Hey. We're never going to do over the hedge, no. are we? Unless we do like the DreamWorks spinoff, I said maybe, but no. Ooh, we're about to get mm. to the joke I thought was so raunchy as a child. Hold the baby by its head! <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Ah! Yeah, Aha. that's why this is on the deleted scenes. Huh. Bud lucky, everyone. That's a good... <laughs> I really I like, do like I the like voice actor line. for her. I know she's just someone who works at Pixar, but it's great. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, you get the ringers, man. Yeah. I mean, Bud Lucky's great too, and he works there. Mm hmm. Well, oh, there, she there goes. is that. And we, we gotta do commentary for the credits. That's how commentary works. Awesome. Yeah. Brett Parker. Yeah. I'd like to park my Brett Look, on that. I do want to point out um, the special thanks mm -hmm. in this I did notice earlier when I was watching it. I was a little like, aha! They're good. Good to thank him. Stephen King was a technical artist on this. <laughs> cool. Hey, Lou Romano, our old friend. Yeah. There, Wolfgang mm -hmm. Moza Amadeus um, was thanked. Special thanks. Oh, great. Oh, I like that. I have the Gaga. subtitles on. They subtitled the uh, Jack Jack's girl. All right, now it's now it's the. Now we're All right, wait, we no, we have to we have to do the commentary. <laughs> There's this is the Dansk version. <laughs> the so Lars Swordson. <laughs> All right, this is this is the German version. We're gonna version. get canceled by European Let's... people. I don't know what that is. No, okay. <laughs> well, no, this is like Cyrillic. There's someone did it in a Sierra Post. What's mm. going on? As this looks like uh, the language that the vampire movie was made in. Um, Franz Francois. Okay, I know what this one ah, is. Ah, French. Syndrome. I, I think it's David just so they Kruger. don't redub the baby. Norsk. Yeah. <laughs> no. It's it's funny because I do kind of watch these sometimes and wonder if you recognize anyone because Brazil. I know a lot of Spanish actors. Uh, like Spanish speaking actors, you'll see them doing voice work well, as that well. That was Romania right you know? there. <laughs> Sweden. Mm -hmm. And the Sphinx version. Good. Yeah. All right. All right. Are we done? Oh, How there's we... the Disney Plus. There's the Disney Plus. Logo. Hey, We're almost there. there we go. Are they going to do we the jet? All right. That's the end of the commentary. Yeah. <laughs> All right. All right. That... All right, everyone. So if you're just coming back to us now, or if you skipped ahead, this was the end of the Jack Jack commentary. And yeah, yeah, uh, great. I was really glad that they made it accessible in so many languages. Yeah, That's none really of them are, none of everyone's accessible in that language because it's not on um not on YouTube. Yeah. Um, which might be why you forgot to look it weird, up. I just, weird they didn't. Yeah, I just figured. You weird, know, weird they check. Oh, what do you? <laughs> I was saying, I guess that's I sent you all the the things to watch, and I didn't send you this because it's just on Disney Plus. So I assume that's why you forgot. I watched, I watched the the short about the the men who were the animators who were the old guys on the bench oh because I, that, watch I watched four but that was the one that i watched um yeah so jack jack attack as we said in the commentary it looks better yeah than the movie i already made a lot of the points i want to make so. during the commentary like ah oh, the, the the bs joke felt like that was really yeah. raunchy as a child now i'm like oh okay <laughs> sure yeah, well, actually, I think there were a lot of jokes like that in the movie. I can't, 
Exactly. It seemed like The Incredibles was pretty adult. Yeah, well, yeah, we talked about that, but it is, it's pretty adult. It's just, it doesn't have them saying BS. <gasps> now, here's my actual hot take. I might have sound very joyous during the commentary, but I don't like this short. Um, <laughs> it's a fun short to talk during. I think it mm. leaves a lot to be desired as a film on its own. It feels like a deleted plot from the movie where they're like, we're going to cut back to Kari doing this stuff. And they're like, well, no, it doesn't make any sense for us to keep doing this. And it's better to make it a reveal at the end. But then you just put all the scenes together and it's not really a narrative or anything. It's just kind of like, here's some scenes of Jack-Jack acting up. I do think it is interesting to look at it like though as a preview for Incredibles 2. Because I do think there's a lot of stuff in Incredibles 2 that lifts straight from this, from what we were saying during the commentary about the Rick Dicker scene. But also the um, yeah. just the Jack Jack interactions of him going crazy with his powers is very much what a lot of Incredibles two is built around. And it's also interesting that Brad Bird, you know, we talked about the archetypes of the characters, that he has the foresight to make Jack Jack as an unpredictable baby, not just as someone whose potential hasn't been realized, but as he gets older, he becomes harder to control because he becomes more explorative. So. Jack-Jack actually does get to grow up, unlike all of the other characters in Incredibles. I think Violet has a bit more of an arc in two, but we'll mm-hmm. get to that in whenever we get around to Spider-Man's Spider-Verse and deciding about that. <laughs> we'll get, um, my, big, my big beef with the short is that I think that it's so crazy that Syndrome shows up at their house at the end of the movie, and it doesn't, it barely makes sense like that he would show up especially if in the short they're not talking about how the parents are defeating the monster downtown like how would people not be aware of that i mean i think i think like kari might not be aware of it kari's a little ditzy um but i do agree that one thought i had doing this having watched it so close which I think is funny to have like that caveat on it as if I've ever watched Jack Jack Attack for fun separate from The Incredibles. Um, but watching it so close to us talking extensively about it, it is very bizarre to think of Syndrome like being swatted away by the Omnidroid and then just walking over there being like, hey, how's it going? Can I have that baby? And like laying that sweet talk down when he seems way more like unhinged at that point. The fact that and I get that, okay, of course I get that it's a cartoon, but I'm just like, why doesn't he just kill her? <laughs> like, <laughs> from the character we see in the movie, it's very jarring to see this. Even though I get, yeah, it's a comedy short, and they just wanted to make that joke about the BS. Which, to be fair, is yeah. kind of fun to get away with in the DVD bonus feature, but... Yeah, I don't think it really works mm-hmm. as its own thing. Like, as its own joke. Yeah. Well, yeah... I mean, I don't know. It was nice to see all the friendly faces. I I really loved how much fun it seemed like everyone was having with all of these Easter eggs and bonus features. Like, that's what it seems to me like this is. Like, we... Of course, it, it doesn't really need to be there, and it kind of fights against the original film, but this did seem like it was a lot of fun. Well, my pushback, though, against that analysis is just... I think you can say that about the other ones, because the other one is like, Mr. Incredible and Pals was like, the Supers files, like archives from the Supers era. And like, it was like a thing alongside like Carol bios and stuff like that. And of course, the Incredible Socks is a Easter egg in its entirety. 
But this was something that was like advertised on the front of the box with with new short film, Jack Jack Attack. Find out what Jack Jack was up to during the movie. So this to me is not like it is a bonus feature, but it's not like the other thing where it's like the other ones where it's like we're goofing off and having some fun here and doing some extra stuff. This is like we want to push the DVD to have something new on it that looks really good. And looks like some deleted scene from the movie we fully animated. And sure enough, that's what they did. They gave us deleted scenes that were fully animated. But, I don't know. To me, it's not as interesting as, say, like, Exploring the Reef. Um, really? Yeah, because Exploring the Reef, like, exists in this cool area where, you know, we got to see this blue fish explore the water. And, you know, blue people exploring the water. That's my thing right now, in case you haven't noticed. Um, but also... Mm. <laughs> I think it's more interesting that it's like, oh, we're doing this like thing about the environment and animating these characters into live action environments, which looks cool. And Mike's new car at least has like the excuse of being like the first time they did it. And I also actually think Mike's new car works better as a gag short anyway. Mike's new car feels like its own thing. This feels like, oh, what's some funny gags we can do at Jack Jack and let's pretend we had this plan for the movie. Almost too well. I don't well. get a sense that it was, like, planned. Was it planned for the I don't actually know if it was planned for the movie or not. I should have No, I don't, I don't think this... This does not... This is no deleted scene. This would be ridiculous. But it's ridiculous as is, is my point, personally. I just mean that... It, I just mean that it's... I feel like there's a lot in here that shows you that it's not a deleted scene. It destroys the tension of them finding Syndrome, and we... The phone call with Carrie tells you more than the short does. I feel like this is a, a showcase for animation. That's and I think it's fair to say. I think, yeah, I think it's like we worked hard on also these Jack Jack stuff for the end. Let's show it off a bit more, you know, like the fire yeah. effect. We did that already, so why don't we use that since we have the tech now that we developed for that one shot of the movie? Let's make a full gag out of it. Mm-hmm. But I don't. Yeah. To me, it kind of is like. The wet fart of a short. I say after giving yeah. a very excited commentary, it's like, uh, there, there's that part and there's this part. But well, it's is that way sometimes. But so let's talk. Ab- shall we talk about the reason? Ev- the real yeah. MVP of the evening. Yes, easily. The old Incredibles, Mister Incredible and Pals. Which yes, even though I said we can't count them as two or one. We're really going to talk about it interchangeably, but I would say the yeah. ideal viewing of this is the way we did it personally. I think you should watch it on its own and get kind of like a vague amusement out of like the sketchy old time throwbackness that is obviously commentating it at the same time as being bad. But then you need to watch the commentary, which is by far the funniest Pixar bonus feature we've watched so far. This it's this has got to be like because of their dynamic. I feel like this is one of the funnier Pixar things we've seen. Because <laughs> to be clear, the listeners, the commentary is Craig T. Nelson and Samuel Jackson in character as Frozone and Mister Incredible talking about this short film. And weirdly enough, them talking about it gives this. This whole thing a big, cool... I want to say this right now. This just came to my mind. It's true. This short does the idea of Lightyear 
so much better than Lightyear because it gives you all this exposition in their commentary where it's like, this was a pilot. It wasn't supposed to get out. I'm part of this now. And it's like, oh, <laughs> all right, sure. Like, it, you immediately get, okay, like, you understand exactly what this is supposed to be in the inner world of The Incredibles. Mm-hmm. And it's really fun. <laughs> and it's like, this is fantastic. Like, I, I think it's really... I think it's a great bonus feature. I think Samuel Jackson gets to do more in this bonus feature, really, than he gets to do in The Incredibles. As much as we love, honey, where is my super suit? You know, none of us ever said that in the entire Incredibles episode, and I was thinking that we would going in. But here we are. Anyway. Uh, well, that's kind of yeah. also my part. And I was like, we didn't miss that. Everyone's favorite joke. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. But well, yeah, I mean, I love it, and it's great. I think I think that them as a duo is is so is so good. I was really I was really shocked by how much they sounded like they were friends doing a commentary track. <laughs> really, that, I was gonna say I'm I'm so curious. Even though I think it says like written and directed by Brad Bird, it really does feel like in points that Samuel Jackson is just going off on his own and correcting Nelson's like. God, dude, I, I just don't... And it works, because that is, like, who the characters are in the movie. But it is, like, Samuel Jackson is completely going ham on this. I feel like this is, like, probably, well, like, my first exposure as a child to, like, you know, mad Samuel Jackson. <laughs> well, I think it's, it's funny, too, because, like, in Incredibles... Uh, Frozone is kind of like the Lando Calrissian of that world yeah. as the only black man and it's not really brought up but this this starts the commentary with them being like they, they made me white the entire thing is really about that it's really I also it's, 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 it's so funny it's really just great like I hate to keep you like it's great you should check it out but really even if we're gonna spoil all the jokes here you should still check it out because we cannot do justice to either of these two delivery but especially Samuel Jackson's delivery of his lines in this commentary because <laughs> it is really hilarious <laughs> yeah I thought it was so cute that apparently that was Pete Doctor doing his voice and it was all the animators like playing the superheroes in the old cartoon. I love the part where he goes, This is animation, you call this animation? They're moving up and down. <laughs> <laughs> They're animated. Yeah. They really do just also sound like, you know, like two old guys at home, like, going, What is this? Um, one thing I did yeah. want to mention that I found on YouTube, which I thought was cool. I don't know if you clicked there, and I only watched a little bit of it, but. There is this thing where it's... Oh, I did watch this, yeah. I, I didn't watch all of it. I just saw clips of it. I was like, oh, this is kind of cool. Is like, there's an intern at Pixar who, I guess for his project or something, animated this with the models they had for Incredibles 2. And I, I, I was like, oh, this is really neat that this exists. Um, but I also don't care enough to watch it. But <laughs> Yeah, it. I mean, it shouldn't, you know, be a thing, but... Yeah, yeah. So this video was the commentary track, and then it would cut to the real world sometimes, and it would be them sitting on a couch. And that was the part that was animated by a student, and it wasn't fully 
Yeah, it yeah. Was, it, was like, it was like missing shading. I don't know what, how to use the word. But you can tell it's the models but, from... Well, also because of the date on it. It's 2018. So you, can know, you know it's the models from Incredibles 2. But also it's like... I think Bob is a very noticeable, like, different ridge to his forehead in Incredibles 2 that immediately you clock and go, okay, so... But, I don't know, I was like, oh, this is kind of cool, this exists, and Pixar let them put it out there and play around with their models for fun, even though I know he's an intern there, so he's probably actually doing work on the movie, too. But it's like, yeah, this is a cool side project to do, if you have those models. Yeah. Um... Back to this. I I thought that was pretty successful, even though it shouldn't, you know, we don't need to see them. Yeah, well, I was impressed. I, I I do think it's funnier without seeing them. Honestly, it is just funnier to imagine yeah. like whatever you can imagine in your head is better than what you would be able to execute on a student level. Of um, these yeah. guys just being like, "What? What's going on?" But also, I, what I also think is really interesting about this is I think it exists on its own. Like I, I say, you should watch it twice, right? Because I do think you should watch it the first time and kind of just take in the bad, the intentional badness of it. And, like, enjoy, like, this, the... Because there are some funny... Like, there's one joke in it about the commentary that made me laugh. Where it's like, I think I found the bridge. And it just zooms out. And the bridge is standing over the tent Mr. Incredible is looking in. <laughs> oh, yeah. But, um... The other thing is, uh... I think it's interesting because I think that the short film on its own, you watch it, you go, like... That's interesting. Kind of built out the world of the supers. It's like I know the rabbits probably just something for the cartoon, but that's cool. There's a super villain here because one thing that's very explicit about the Incredibles that people point out in the reading that Mark brought up. I think you brought it up more than briefly, but also we could have talked about it more. The Incredibles as like I don't know if it's if conservative power fantasy is being too harsh on the Incredibles, but um, you know what I mean, like the libertarian ideas of like supers have powers and they should use it and not worry about regulation or whatever. Um, uh, yeah, kind of. Well, one thing people have always pointed out about the Incredibles movies, in both of them, is that there are no super villains with powers, and very explicitly in the sequel to get around, that's really more than the sequel to get around it, they brainwash the superheroes, so it's technology being used by non-superpowered people to use superpowers. Um, yeah. and then in this, you see immediately there's, like, this Firefly villain, you're like, okay, this is interesting, sure, like, like, I'm, I'm curious, like, that's cool. Even though it's like very weirdly like written to be like very communist and like anti-American. Oh yeah. Um. Well, that I mean I don't know that was, that was funny. I mean I thought it was funny too, but it is very out of nowhere compared to everything else. Oh my. In the um without the commentary, but then as soon as you get to this point in the commentary, they go like, "What? Why do they have to make their own villains? Like their own their own super villains? We didn't face these guys." So it's like, okay, so canonically Brad Bird is like, no, we're still only having superheroes. There are no such big as supervillains unless they have the tech for it. I'm like, okay. Um, yeah. Well, I think that's something that Incredibles has never really had to touch on. I think that maybe that's a that's kind of what the Dark Knight is about. Um, like you need a superhero to defeat a supervillain, but I feel like that's the only question that would bring up if you had villains in the Incredibles. So I get why they wouldn't. Well, yeah, make it a thing. I think you kind of. I think you're correct to also say, ignoring like the political conversation around the Incredibles, I do think it would kind of break the world. That like if you're like you outlaw superheroes, okay, but supervillains are still going to be a thing. They're not going to go into hiding, right? So like, yeah, you have to not have supervillains, otherwise the entire premise of the world doesn't work yeah 
That's why whenever people are like, Can oh, I- yeah, I hope for Incredibles 2, like, Dash grows up and he's a bad guy now. And it's like, that does not work within the world of the movie also that's really stupid why would you want to watch a movie about that <laughs> can i make the first short film episode tangent yeah of the episode sure so you know have you ever heard of the movie one two three by billy wilder no but i believe it's showing at the music box in the next few months i think that's where i've heard of it it's in there I went to see The Apartment, and I'll probably go see a couple more of theirs, but I think 123 is showing soon. I don't know what it's about. Let me. I'm just checking to see if it is showing or not, if I'm talking on my ass. But no, I have not seen mm-hmm. it, if that is what you are well, asking. I, well, it's They are showing 123 in February. But, so, yeah. But go on. You, I, <laughs> I would be very curious to know what you think of that movie. Um, I learned of it because of the director's talk between Steven Spielberg and Martin Scorsese after Bridge of Spies and they mention that it is on the billboard of like the movie theaters of the time and I think because of that and it was on someone's sight and sound I looked it up and it's just it's it's really bizarre (laughs) um it's it's not exactly how people market it it's not as wild as they say but it is like a very bizarre very fast billy wilder is movie it billy wilder but get it because you said wild it's wilder even uh, billy wilder wilder than a billy um i think of it because they have characters who are uh east german and west german and that's kind of what the movie is about kind of it's it's really like it's a farcical sex comedy thing, but I think the it's it's really funny to me seeing characters from like communist Russia make fun of American politics for for whatever reason because I don't know that that's just a pleasing thing to me. And I thought I, I thought of that because of this, and now I'm like compiling a list of characters well, I, who it makes me make think jokes of a, like that. Well, I watched recently, aka like two years ago. I went to this new movie theater by my work, which has insane recliners. Oh my gosh, I, my mind was blown by these recliners. So I have to talk about the recliners first, then I'll get back to your question. Um, but the recliners, you could adjust, you know the the foot part of, I don't know what you call that part you know like the part where your butt is and like the part that like sticks out where your feet are and you could obviously adjust the back mm-hmm. of the seat but then you could also adjust the headrest and then they also had charging ports on these recliners anyway I saw Dr. Strangelove there and I think that has some elements of that elements of what oh it's like, like funny communist people funny communist people funny funny Nazi <laughs> sorry Jojo Rabbit, big fan. Uh, but you know what I mean? Like, funny Nazi character, funny um, yeah. Russian well, character. And it's... I just... Yeah. yeah. It's like taking the piss out on American politics. But I think the difference is... And I haven't seen 1, 2, 3, but the difference here is it's like... Maybe 1, 2, 3 is like this. I haven't watched it. But, like, the joke in this is, like... It's funny because this political cartoon for children has, like, the most blatant... Uh, Cold War propaganda that's anti-Russian ever, which like yeah sure, but also it's funny like how over the top it is. Um, mm-hmm. and how like at the end they imply, hey, I hope I you put holes in that um, that cup so she doesn't die. 
ha, 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 ha. Not actually answering yeah. if they did or not. Well, I think it's, I don't know, it's a funny thing to see stuff like that, which I do actually find, I find, I find it, like, legit very amusing hearing, like, earnest communists and movies that make fun of them, but it's kind of funny, you know, you, you get older, and for me anyway, growing, like, more, more to the left, I think, and so, I don't know, it's, it's just, it's funny because you see the, the examples of communist people out in the world and that's just like i mean that's like communist russia so it's kind of its own thing but then that doesn't like match the the people you meet in real life which is not the greatest tragedy of the world but it does get me thinking it makes me think of when we talked about uh the joseph and egypt movie too you know how you watch these movies and they kind of they kind of mirror in a distorted way your experiences with real life religious people. Yeah, and I think so. um I think what's interesting with this and the politics is I don't know because I, I tell you when I watch Incredibles, I never really think about the politics of it, even though it's like a big thing that people you know it always is part of the discourse around the Incredibles is like well you gotta acknowledge the ain randomness of it all. Um, much like when we talked about Avatar, and we were like, we gotta acknowledge the, 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 you know, everything of Avatar of it all, and I'm like, eh, but do we? But with The Incredibles, now I'm like watching this, I'm like, you know, it's really interesting, because I think, because I think Bradford gets worse at this as time goes on. Um, like, having very political films that feel very right, and mm-hmm. what's interesting to me is I think, like, The Iron Giant is incredibly, like, I don't want to say it's a leftist film, but it is a very left film. And then all of his other films feel super far, not super far right, but like definitely on the right side of things. And it, it's just it, yeah. interesting to kick off something with this like children's movie that's about, because we didn't talk about this during the Iron Giant, because at that time I was like poo-pooing like, you know, the politics of Brad Bird, because I don't ever think they're really too interesting to discuss. But now that we're like really into him, like we're, we're not really, like, you know, we're on his second film and we're now on his sh- the short films he's involved with, um... I, well, I don't I don't think anything ever changed. I think the fact is is that Iron uh, with Iron Giant, you know, the story behind the Iron Giant is, is his sister was killed in a gun incident, and he wanted to make a movie about like what if a gun had a soul and didn't want to be a gun. I, I'm saying this now, having watched since our episode like a couple documentaries about the Iron Giant, and that's like the quote is like what if mm. a son had a goal, a gun had a soul, and the gun didn't want to be a gun, and it's like yeah, that's like. It's a really powerful idea that's inherently going to come off more, especially as time has gone on since The Incredibles, where gun control is less. Like, I guess I wasn't around during Columbine, but I assume it's always something that looks like everyone was like, "Oh yeah, this was like horrendous, awful." And nowadays, it's like it's very obvious. Most people just kind of shrug at it and move on. Um, but at the time, it was more of like an all-encompassing thing. But I don't know because it's definitely also one of those things where you know, like. It's not 1999 anymore, so the Iron Giant isn't the same politically as it was then. I don't know. I don't know if what I'm saying mm-hmm. is really even relevant, but I think it's. I now that we're, no, now that we're here and we're at conservative Brad Bird, what happened? <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, are we at conservative Brad Bird? That's kind of we're, I don't we're know getting if there. We we're not there say yet. Say that it's on that. Oh, may, I mean, maybe you might know a little better than I do, but I don't say any of this to 
come down really hard one way or another because I think other people are more knowledgeable than I am. I do like thinking about it. I just, I think that in a way the films reflect certain, uh, you know, aspects of the world. I don't think that a film is like right or left or anything like that. Some films are. <laughs> Say, uh, like, I think like American Sniper let's, I mean, is like a conservative film. Well, I mean, yes, but in, not in the same way that like Triumph of the Will is is a Nazi film. You know what I mean? Sure. Like it's not a well. It's like I would say, what what movie is? I say I'd say American Sniper is more a conservative film, but I'd say Top Gun Maverick is more a military. Like you know, like a I don't want to say like you know like because Triumph of the Will is propaganda. I think Top Gun Maverick is definitely pro-military propaganda it's good pro-military propaganda uh i think rrr we've said them before i think rrr is, is propaganda i think it's well-made propaganda but i don't think american sniper is really propaganda i think it's just a conservative film made by a conservative filmmaker um mm-hmm. to even compare it like the following year with well no no i shouldn't speak on that because i haven't seen the Benghazi movie since it came out but I just think inherently a Benghazi movie is going to be more political, very blatantly politically charged because it's a Benghazi movie. But yeah, yeah, it's you know it's it, it's fun and it tickles my brain because I think it affects the choices that we make as artists. But I think there's there are really a number of ways to encounter any film. Sure. And especially, like, uh, we're talking about this short film, I I just think it's fun, because I, I just think, I just think dumb communist characters are really funny. Oh, no, I think she's funny, too. I, I just think it's really, I, I think it's interesting. And I don't... And I, the thing is, yeah. the thing is, when we were talking about this, for some reason, I was thinking about, like, I'm jumping ahead in my mind to Brad Burke, because I do think it's really more the 2010s. I think Tomorrowland is the most, and I don't think you've seen Tomorrowland, have you? Um, we will eventually get no. to it on this podcast. I do not recommend watching it before we get to it because it is not good. But I think that is the one where it's like most blatant. Like this is Brad Bird's politics, and this is what he thinks, and he thinks you're dumb if you don't agree with him. Um, mm. But even though beyond that, I, we were saying I was talking earlier about the Mission Impossible movie. I think the Mission Impossible movies inherently, you know, it's a, they're always about like, well, there's one secret agent that goes rogue, and he's the right one to do it, and he is good, and he is the vigilante who will bring justice. To in the world of secret agents. That is what the Mission Impossible movies basically are. Um, I don't know. I was just thinking about... I, I was jump, I stepped back for a second and just looked at the whole picture of Brad Bird. Especially because, as I said, during our Incredibles episode, we kind of did not dive into it as much as I think you wanted to. Um, maybe I'm reading too much into you, but I thought about we wanted the, to talk about it maybe a bit. About the political content of the Incredibles? Yeah. Oh, I know. I mean, I can't really speak on it. because yeah, It's been a while. When am, when am I going to get around to, like, reading Ayn Rand for real, you know? That's, that's fair. <laughs> if that never happens, I'm not going to feel bad about it. Yeah, that's fair. But, I, I mean, it's just it's just an element, you know? it It's something that intrigues me. I found... I don't know. I, I could go on this whole thing. It's, it's very interesting to me how films intersect with politics. Mm-hmm. Um, and... You know, we were talking about Citizen Four last episode. Stop insane, but and, I need to. Yeah, and especially like I was reading about that, and he, Edward Snowden, like revealed his 
information to a number of people, including like Glenn Greenwald, who is sort of like a controversial reporter now mm-hmm. because of like you know being sympathetic towards right leaning people. And this this may be like a Twitter argument that only I know about in my little corner of the world, but that kind of thing is very interesting to me. In the same way that Disney bonus features expand the world of The Incredibles, all this other stuff expands the world of of the film for me, and it makes it more rich. And I don't mean, you know, it doesn't always have to be so frivolous, but it's a thing I like to think about. I get what you're saying. But you know who we need to talk mm-hmm. about? Mr. Skipperdoo! Yeah, we do. <laughs> he's a... I, I do i do think he's great that was a, that was i like the that the commentary track say, doesn't really the, mention him that was the best transition i've ever done on this podcast it's like you also can talk about mr skipperdoo <laughs> uh, he's great he's great jinx you me soda i feel like and i i like i like him especially because it never explains why he's there but we all know why he's there <laughs> it's very true <laughs> I also like it's just it really is just again the thing without the commentary is fine it's cute it's a little silly got a couple funny jokes but then you get Frozo going why is that rabbit there what's going on it's it, it just becomes this great transcendent bit of yeah. comedy where he's like I'm white and I'm holding a rabbit <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and like he's like good you're holding hands with the rabbit I don't want to do that my ever favorite frozen reactions in this is uh when he goes they skipped the best part <laughs> where I make the ice bridge because <laughs> the animation's bad mm-hmm. but anyway back to Mr. Skipperdoo yeah. um he's how, how is is he sec- what what smash or pass um smash yeah he's got a job that's pretty cool i wonder if in the world of um chippendale rescue rangers where all these tunes work at the movies i wonder what he's doing right now mr skipper too the guy who had this one <laughs> you know he's probably doing commercials i feel like he's probably, he's probably yeah. like in some local commercials i thought it was funny that in the villain's accent his name sounds very french <laughs> yes, <it does>. <laughs> <laughs> you know this also this short i didn't mention this yet this short was incredibly um incredibly ratatouille to me and i, I keep saying that because mm-hmm. i think it's the best way to terminology it i think it should just become like part of our lexicon of our podcast where you're like this is the ratatouille moment um where definitely at the end when it cuts the corn guy and he goes, I'll crush you, Mr. Incredible. I have that delivery like seared into my mind as soon as like he appears and you don't like he, the dialogue doesn't happen quite yet. I know exactly what he's going to say and how he's going to say it and how he has like the little mm. facial hair too. Yeah. That's another thing that I'm glad they don't really mention in the commentary. It's so It's so nice to have something that is both smart and is full of yelling. <laughs> it's the ideal, the ideal we see you, but we know what you want kind of thing. And I, I do think what's interesting to me also about the, um, the commentary is I do feel like it really nails like, and I, I guess, okay. So I feel like 
commentary tracks, you know, most commentary tracks you listen to are from the filmmaker, right? And sometimes they're alone, but some usually they're like maybe good ones are usually with, you know, a couple writers, maybe a producer on it, um, things like that. And they're just telling you how the movie was made. I think we should have more commentaries like this or more commentaries like, you know, the infamous Ben Affleck one for Armageddon, which I hope you've seen. What? You've never seen? Okay. I gotta gotta look up the exact quote. So Ben Affleck is on one of the commentaries for Armageddon. But the way I believe the commentary... I just searched Ben Affleck a lot. I mean, Armageddon commentary. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you, Google, for listening to me. I appreciate it. Um, I believe the way the commentary... Okay. So... 20 this is the ringers article from 2018 20 years ago the um michael bay jerry Bruckheimer, bruce willis ben affleck each separately got into recording booth and recorded commentary for armageddon and then they spliced the commentary together um as one big commentary track for you to listen to on dvd so i have never listened to the whole track i've never seen armageddon but Van Affleck is drunk sure, in watch. the recording while he's watching the movie. Oh. <laughs> and uh, I'm trying to find a transcript. Okay, okay, all right. As Michael... That's not a That's not a good... That's like my Jeremy Renner um, impression. Um, I asked Michael why it was easier to train oil drillers to become astronauts than it was to train astronauts to become oil j- drillers. And he told me to... Told me to don't you shut the fuck up. <laughs> <Tell me to. laughs> so that was just the end of the talk. It does Michael Bay voice. You know, Ben, just shut up, okay? You know, this is a real plan. I was like, you mean it was a real plan at NASA to try to He was like, just shut your mouth. <laughs> One whole week? Now you know how to fly into space? I need my guys. Why do you need your guys? They're the best. Everyone's the best. Why are they the best? Well, they just are. <laughs> <laughs> um but we need to, i think we should have more commentary tracks where it is just actors watching their movie like adam driver has said he gets like anxiety attacks when he watches his movies um which i i obviously don't of course like forcing adam driver to get an anxiety attack but that said surely he can watch like six television surely he could watch 65 and we could record his reactions to it like, you know that movie? <laughs> like, surely he can make it through that. Honestly, my favorite thing to do would be, like, maybe 10 years from now being asked, like, for him and, like, maybe John Boyega and Oscar Isaac to just watch the Star Wars trilogy in a booth and just get the... Because I, I don't think... I think all of them have, like, expressed extremely negative responses. Well, Adam Driver's professional, but Oscar Isaac and um, <laughs> John Boyega have been extremely negative towards their experience on it. So in, like, 10 years, just get them a recording really? booth, had them all record a tr- like, track together on Rise of Skywalker, and just had Adam Driver be like, wait, this is what they did with the movie? Wait, what was it? Like, I think we... All this to say is, like... I think that, like, if I was a celebrity, like, or, like, if I was, like, a professional movie critic who had this poll, like, on IndieWire, I would 100% start a podcast where it's, like, I do interviews with celebrities, but the interview is, like, we watch a movie of theirs together, and it's a commentary track with the actor who's, like, I'm watching this movie, and it's, like, what? I don't remember this being a part of it. Or, like... They're like an actor, like Michelle Williams. I read an article about her today where she says, yeah, the last movie I saw, the last thing I was in I saw was an episode of um, Dawson's Creek I was on 10 years ago because I showed it to my daughter. Um, I'm like, man, I would love to, if you haven't seen The Greatest Showman, I'd love to put you in a booth and your reaction to The Greatest Showman. (laughs) (laughs) 
Like, or, or watch the Venom movies and be like, like, can you imagine a commentary track where it's Tom Hardy showing off the movie to his co-stars who haven't watched the movie? Like, <laughs> I just think there's a big, yeah. there's a big, um, the commentary track I need to listen to is the Tropic Thunder one, though. I've I heard that one's good because RDJ is in character on it. Because he doesn't break. Because in the movie he says, "I don't break character till the DVD commentary's done." So, but, that's cute. Yeah, I really want to hear the one for a movie that I've never even seen, which is Big Trouble in Little China. That's supposedly a really good one. Is it Kurt and, Russell oh, in it? Yeah, it's it's Kurt Russell and John Carpenter, both of them, I mm. think, and they're they're just like I've seen like clips of it with subtitles, and they're just like talking about how the other one was like on drugs that day or something like that and that's a that's a special one um hmm. i feel like the issue now with commentary tracks is they are mostly all one person does them because like i like the idea of taika waititi doing a commentary track for um thor 11 thor ragnarok but you can only listen to so much Taika by himself and have fun with that, you know. You gotta have, you yeah, gotta have gotta the get dynamic. Jermaine and, Clement. What? You should bring in Jermaine Clement. They should have done a rec- honestly. All of his things. Here's my pitch for the Avatar two DVD. Um, make sure Jermaine Clement and Eddie Falco have not seen this movie. Eddie Falco, <laughs> just put them in a booth together, not knowing what each other <laughs> roles are in the movie. Just knowing, hey, apparently we're both in this movie together. All right, let's put it on. Didn't we film all of our scenes like five years ago? Yeah, all right, like, all right. <laughs> that, that would be the ideal commentary track to me. Just the two of them being like, "Wait, what?" <laughs> like during the movie, and then when their scenes come up, they'll be like, "It's like he box just like, what is that accent you're putting on?" And Jermaine's like, "I'm, I'm sorry, okay." <laughs> <laughs> well, it was a great time. Yeah, and, and I, I was listening to have... a podcast by Frozone and. Uh, Mr. Incredible, where they just, they don't even need to watch their own movies. They can watch other stuff too. Yeah. But, oh, yeah. I mean, I think Craig T. Nelson loved... isn't doing much. Samuel Jackson's a little busy, but I think Craig T. Nelson would be happy he's for him. He's living income. his life, man. I mean, yeah, he's also in Book Club 2, the next chapter. So, he's been getting that work. It's Book Club. Book Club is one of the old people comedies that came out back when I was in college, and they're finally coming out with a sequel. The plot of it is that these 70-year-old, or maybe 60, I don't want to assume, these senior citizens, older women, have a oh, book club. Oh, book club is that movie with Sally Field, isn't it? I think she's in it. Or, like, Diane Keaton? Yeah, I think Diane Keaton's in it. Sally Field's in the new one, 80 for Brady, which is about 80-year-olds going to see Tom Brady at the Super Bowl. This one is about these people who read Fifty Shades of Grey, and it reenacts their love life. And I felt really bad for Andy Garcia in it, because I was the year he started becoming an old person. Like, cause the year before he wasn't old, and then that year he was in that, and then Mama Mia too, dating Cher. Granted, he got a date Cher, so like he won. You know, like no one's gonna say no to a role where he dates Cher. Yeah, and do what? I mean, re- really, he should consider himself lucky to come of come of age as an old person among this crop of old people. Yeah, I mean, I like Andy Gar. I think Andy Garcia is one of our most underrated talents. Hmm. Although I haven't seen The Godfather Part 3, so maybe he's bad in that. I mean, he's good in it, but the have we talked about The Godfather Part 3? I feel like Caleb has like done a whole thing 
about that. No, we just have I've I just talked about the Godfather Part Three. I just implied that we're going to get to it eventually on the Snub Club. That's all. Oh well, my Godfather Three take because I won't be around there for it. Is I actually think the Godfather Three is fine, but I think that Sofia Coppola is really not like doing. Some people have said that her acting style is very different, and I just, I don't really feel like she's there compared to a lot of the other actors in the film, but she has a very central role, so the the tone that she brings to it is, is very jarring, and I think that's what sinks Godfather 3 for me. I'll tell you in two years my take. I don't know yet. Sorry. Okay. That's fine. Should we, uh, well, should we talk about the Incredible Socks? Sock time. Yes. This reminds me of the old things I used to make. This reminds me of, um, I'm going to say another from the podcast who hasn't guessed it on yet. Um, this reminds me of Kevin Lau's sock puppet films he showed me in college. Shout out to Kevin Lau and his really? sock puppet films. I didn't even know he had sock puppet films. He does. I don't... We should have had him on. I didn't know he had expertise. Miss, uh, yeah, well, sorry. If he's busy, that's all cool. But, I mean, it, it is nice. So what this is, is uh, one of the animators. And I found this guy on LinkedIn. Yeah, he so he's real. Hmm? Yeah, I said you did. That's all. I was, I was affirming. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he works at Apple now. Um, great, great, good for him. I wonder if he went over when Steve, um, like, you know, like when the company was bought out. He's like, nah, I'm staying at Apple. I don't care about you guys anymore. I'm curious. Went over where? From Pixar to Apple. Because Pixar was like, you know, co-owned by Apple kind of for a bit at the beginning. And then when Disney bought it out, they bought out Steve Jobs shares. I'm just saying, I'm curious. I don't know. I I, I have no idea, but... Oh, I don't know. It doesn't matter. It doesn't seem like he... It's so... So, okay. If we're going to break down this guy's LinkedIn profile... (laughs) What he's it gonna, looks he's like. gonna find us and like <laughs> contact us and be like, "What the heck, man?" <laughs> but it, it looked like he was part of Pixar Animation, and then he had another job, and then he went to Apple. Oh, that's weird. So I would have assumed that there was a connection through Pixar to Apple. But well, it said that he was an effects animator. I don't know, like. I don't know how central he was to the Pixar machine, you know? Yeah, I could see, like, the Incredibles um, and Nemo needing a ton of effects. Uh, cars might need effects, too. But, like, Ratatouille probably was like, eh, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, but, so anyway, this guy made a short film, which is on the DVD, which is the entire Incredibles film, but with sock puppets. And it has this nice felt and poster board background, and even at the beginning of the little DVD bonus, they have a cute little intro where they show you some video camera footage of some Pixar guy, like, showing it to the company. Um, and he gives a little introduction, which is not to the camera. It's like they show you the time he showed it to the rest of the crew, which I thought was really cool. And then you get to watch it, and it's just the Incredibles, but with sock puppets. And that's pretty much it. Those do be incredible yeah. socks. Yeah. Uh, I I. You have something to say? What? Go. No, you go. You go. Definitely go. <laughs> oh well, I just thought that it was a cool effect how they did the newspaper montages. Yeah, I like that. Because that was they good. filmed a table and then they flipped like sheets of paper on top of each other with sticks to show the newspapers. Which, actually, now that I think of it, is probably, like, the old school way of doing it. But, 
I don't know. I just thought that was cute because the sock puppets are funny because they're so low quality. Um, and that had a little bit of movie magic. Yeah, I'm looking... I'm, I'm doing that thing I do when I scroll through it because it... You know, we, we, this is very... This, oh, I remember what I want to say. The best... To me, the best part of this is the Omnidroid. Um, being the, uh... Oh, yeah. Being the birds from For the Birds and, like, they edit in like the squeaky toy sound that the for the birds like toys make like birds make and it's funny i like that it's good um yeah i also like how like it gives a lot of detail to the first like 10 minutes of the movie i want to I'm, I'm checking right now when the time oh well no never mind the timestamp's not really relevant because it has the intro but i feel like it gives a lot of time to the beginning of the movie and then it jumps ahead to uh you know the, the plot and just rushes through the rest of it um mm-hmm. i like the part where they he has an issue dropping his briefcase and they keep in the extra take it's cute yeah it's funny i yeah i like when he's like showing the plane exploding so you see his head as he like makes the explosion hit the plane yeah that was charming to me i also like what is jack jack is he like a potato yeah, he's he's like a little potato. Which is very weird. On a, on a stick. Yeah. I mean, it, it becomes pretty incomprehensible towards the <laughs> yeah, end. Really, it kind of just completely falls apart when Syndrome <laughs> dies. It's like, okay, great. <laughs> yeah. But I really liked this. It, it reminded me of, like, things that I made in high school. And then even... I was doing a rewatch of college things that I made... And a lot of those do not hold up, but the ones that I like, I think, have this kind of wild energy. You know, yeah. they they seem like they seem like they they have some desire to be quick and fun above other things. I do think if I'm to grade, I think this is the one on Letterbox I will be giving the highest grade because I think because I, I think the thing with Mister Incredible and Pals is like. I do think, if I'm to grade Mr. Incredible and Pals for, like, a website, I, I feel like I'm obligated to only grade the film itself and not the commentary. In which case, it's it's fun, but it's also a little overstays its welcome. But in this, it's like, ah, quick. It's probably, like, two minutes total when you remove the intro. And it does exactly what it sets to do. It's pretty funny while you watch it. You know, it's, it's a solid time. Um, mm-hmm. And it's a good refresher for the movie, you know, having to go into this episode like a month after we watched Incredibles 1 and being like, what happened in that movie again? Oh, thank you, Incredible Socks. Thank you for bringing me up to speed on that. But I will say it does Mm -hmm. forget the one part of the cultural impact of the Incredibles, which is there is no, honey, where is my super suit? No, but it does have the line when everyone's super and no one will be. It's interesting that that was the one that he picked out. I mean, that, one I mean, kind of, that makes sense, though, because the movie, it's, it's a big line. The movie itself does emphasize that line in the sense that it's a reprise of a line Dash said earlier. Just reworded a little bit. Yeah. Um, Can I? Oh. No, what were you going to say? Go on. I'm taking a breath. I have a ridiculous tangent. It's something that only I care about. You know the short film that we did that was the Rushmore scene, and you have the gun. 
Yeah. So I remember. Great thing. When that's the thing I ever made. Go on, sorry. What? <laughs> that's, that's that's the thing I've ever been a part of. <laughs> it was written by Wes Anderson. I gotta brag about it. Um, go on. Yeah, you got to deliver a Wes Anderson script. We made a short film with some other folks, and Sarah, I think. Um, maybe maybe Sarah wasn't no, Sarah part of was, that one. Sarah was part of yeah. it. Yeah. Um, but it was black and white. Uh, it was like one of those scene exercises where you shoot a scene based on another script. And here's the thing that I always think about in connection with that film is you were introduced by a pan up that shows the gun you're holding and then your face. And I remember Julius found that really funny. <laughs> but I remember thinking <laughs> that was... Re- I, I Even re-watching it now, I'm like, no, I think that that... Like I think the humor comes from good. being like a short that you see this guy who's not in our class, even though we all know him, but he's not in our class, sitting at the edge of the corner, it's kinda sad. And you know it's because everyone's doing this scene from Rushmore, and everyone knows it's this kind of like sad, funny scene. <laughs> and then the fan over is a reveal of a gun and then me of all people. <laughs> and it's like, okay. So this is the rap that okay, chose okay. To go. You know, I didn't I haven't even thought about it. <laughs> But now it makes perfect sense. <laughs> it's so wild. That moment has, like, always stuck with me. Like, not even that Julius was wrong, but just I remember him, like, laughing in the screening. I think it's a funny... that being, like... I, I think that... I, I hate to say This would sound like a little too much, like, oh, remember the good old days? Because that was not a good class, but I do think that was, like, the class I was probably on fire as being, like... I was the funniest person in that class constantly. I mean, there were a couple of people who were like more naturally funny, but I knew exactly how to play that class, so I could just be really like pop into things and be obnoxious and hilarious, and then just walk mm. out. <laughs> like I think about I I I think I've mentioned this before, but our sixth sense scene that I did. Where I played Tony, I, no, it wasn't Tony Collette's character. I was um, whoever plays Bruce Willis's wife in that movie, and I was like, I don't even remember. I it's like the scene in the movie is like this very low key scene when they're in bed at the beginning when Bruce Willis is still alive, and they're kind of talking about their marriage, and Bruce is like, I don't know what I'm doing, I don't know what I'm doing, and she's like calm and trying to calm him down, but I played it like he's she's like. How dare you have to be talking about your problems type of thing? And it was really great. Uh, mm-hmm. And I love the Rushmore video. I think the Rushmore video is one of the best things I've ever... I'm not joking. I, I think when I, I, I love... I, I should actually... Because kids always ask me at work, can you do your evil laugh? I'm like, no, I can't because it's too loud. I can't do my evil laugh for you guys. Because no matter where I do it for you guys, it's going to be too loud. And if I do it inside, it's going to... like. I'll get in trouble from other people here. And if I do it outside, there are going to be other parents in the parking lot. They're going to be like, what is going on? So I can't do it. So I should just pull up the Rushmore video. Like, here it is. Here's my evil app. Oh, that's not even my... That's my favorite part of it. I love the camera movement. line. I love the camera movement on my, the laugh. It's so ridiculous. Yeah. Well, that, yeah. I mean, that was the other thing that I was pretty... I was pretty proud of. I think everyone was, was a, everyone gave you credit for that one, I feel like. Everyone was like, that's great. That's that's fantastic. Yeah, I mean, that it's interesting to look back on that because I think that like that was kind that and a lot of the films that I worked on. I mean, it's all stu- it's all student work and I would have to like 
make another thing before I could speak about this like an adult, but I feel like a lot of that was like having seen a lot of really cool things, not quite knowing how to put them together. So some things were neat, but it's like fundamentally the film doesn't have that like that energy, that rising, falling action that makes something like enjoyable and whatever. Um, that's like kind of how I feel about the whole thing. But my favorite line from that, which is something that has stuck in my brain, like that corn thing yeah. you talked about earlier from the Incredibles, is <laughs> I what is the beginning of this line that you say? But it's something like you're like brandishing the gun, <laughs> and it's like. I've had about enough of this nonsense. I've got to put an end to this nonsense. <laughs> oh, that's what it is. I've got to put an end to this nonsense. <laughs> What's the line I always think about? There's a line in there that I do always think about. It's not that one. It's... I don't know. It's probably just a laugh. I, just, I always just always think about like how I just suddenly get like very... I try to get very serious, but I also just think the entire the entire thing you can tell I'm just kind of laughing through the, like, the performance too. I'm, I I I am not keeping it composed at all the entire performance, but I'm like, she was my Rushmore, and I start laughing in the middle of like my attempt to cry. Mm-hmm. Or like, and I'm like, yeah, she was mine too. I delivered just how I just did it with my laugh right now. Um... <laughs> No, that was a that's good. A, that's it's a, good a great one. one. That's a mm. good one. I like that one in Shit in the Can. I'm always proud of Shit in the Can. Yeah, Shit in the Can. <laughs> Shit in the Can is great because Shit in the Can is my short film, which that's w- a parody of Ace in the Hole. Um, yeah, and I made it for not for a film class. Well, I made it for a film theory class that was not taught by a film professor. Ergo, I did not need to worry about the technical aspects of it at all. <laughs> I just like, all right, well, I don't care about white balance. We're just going to shoot this and go because I'm the only film major in this class. So, ergo, mine is going to look je- like if I do it bad, it's still going to look better than most of the other people. And it didn't still look better than the other person because the other person didn't know how to set a um, 24 frames per second shutter speed. Um, but, I, but then again, never did James Cameron. But, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, re- really. But anyway, um, the real joke of Shin the Can to me is always that if you ever go to student, if you ever watch student films from our generation, I guarantee you, like, if you actually, like, had, like, 600 student films in front of you from the years we were in school, and you randomly picked five, there's a good chance three of them would include a Trent Reznor and Atkiss Ross track from Gone Girl in it. <laughs> like, and so the joke of Shin the Can was, is I kept trying to find these tracks that were used in, like, every movie. And I put it in there, and like it ends on the track that ends the movie Arrival. Like, um, I think it's Max Richter's um, on the shores of daylight or something like that. But it's like at the end of Arrival, it's the end of Moneyball, and then there's a point in the end credits where I just play the room theme, um, and you know I just like I just very much picked like okay these are tracks that are in everything, so I'm gonna play them obnoxiously during it, um. But the actual best joke in it is an accident, which is that we forgot to record Julius's dialogue with it. And I was like, we don't have time to do radio, I just used the camera audio. 
and it's like the big reveal. It's this shot that is done not because we had like a some we we had someone who was studying being a doctor photographer and doing a DP for most of it, but then there were a couple shots I just had to do. And it's one of my shots. It's incredibly, like, weirdly framing Julius in the corner. And Julius just says, with the worst quality audio ever, Peter knew it was me the whole time. With, like, the hum of the camera behind it. And you can tell it's a completely different type of shot than everything else in. It's just so funny. Oh, I love shit in the can. It's I yeah that's I think we've mentioned it before that's the one where um uh, a a young black man plays Billy that's Wilder Billy as a ghost. And I want he seven has Oscars. The script in his hand. Yeah, well, the thing that's also great about that is my my big thing that I was excited about I was like this is gonna make it look cool, and it was true. It did make it look cooler than other people, no matter what. It's the very dumb ghost effect I did. <laughs> like I'm just gonna shoot. Like we cannot move the camera at all. We have to shoot it so that way I can make this ghost effect, and it worked. The ghost effect worked really well. <laughs> Although, honestly, a part of me now, in retrospect, like, knowing that it was going to always look dumb, I should have had him leave the room with, like, opening a ghost door to leave. <laughs> that would have made it funnier. <laughs> but also him fading out and fading in is really funny, too. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, that's a good one. It's a good short. Good I, times. Uh, college. You know, I don't... I am so nervous about touching that now because of audio. What like shouldn't I fe- just no about like I've thought about like doing a short film. I've done some things because I've had to record things for like um uh, tapes and self tapes and things, and then I actually did a little short film to get some footage where I hired a student from NYU, mm. and I might have told you about this. They were like so. I, they were a sound person and they were fantastic. They were so far ahead of any like anything that we were doing. Um, They're going to NYU. <laughs> we went to we did not go to NYU. I'd hope well, most people at NYU are way better than us. Sorry, go I mean, on. N- NYU is honest. I mean no, sorry, you cut you cut off for a second. I I wasn't trying to no, you're good. interrupt or be weird. Because, I mean NYU is not a guarantee of quality or whatever, but I did find a really good person. I mean, yeah, it was you're... just kind of like, hmm. No, I was just saying, yeah, 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 yeah. I I shouldn't just assume. Yeah. Some there there are some rich people who just pay their way to NYU. I'm sure. So yeah, um, but it was just a really good person. But and then I like worked on a film that was made by some like friends of this person or were these Columbia students I don't know I I met some really cool like student filmmakers but it really like made me nervous because the the things that you kind of fundamentally have to get right they really had down and that's that's kind of like a hill to climb now so I could make like my little phone Jim Jarmusch thing and like shop it around for ideas but I really feel like a production feels like very out of my means, you know. Yeah, I get that. And I should, I should, ju- I should just shoot something on my phone and go Sean Baker shoot with something. It. But I mean, it's all, it's all about the good audio, man. 
seven thousand dollars at least. Can I um? But, can I add? Can we can we rewind a bit to a tangent you were on earlier that to say something uh, for me to tangent off of that I wanted to say back then, but then we kept going on our student films. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. So Rushmore, our version of Rushmore. Um, yes. Let's put an end to this nonsense. Um, <laughs> the other thing that always sticks out to me about whenever I watch that is how bad um, I don't know if it's I think it's the exposure on the camera, but it's really fun mm-hmm. how it looks. But it's also like very washed, not washed out. It's very white, you know. Yeah. Um. I mean, there was just so much shit that we didn't do. Honest, honestly, that a lot of that was my bad. Well, I mean, I, I think it's a cool, cool look. Honestly, I like the way it looks, even though it's not intentional. Um. Yeah. But I wanted to say that I have finally started my Brendan Fraser movie marathon. Um. And by marathon, oh my I mean gosh. watching my Brendan Fraser movies. And last night I watched. This movie called The Passion of Darkly Noon, which I gotta say, I really shouldn't have programmed it second. It definitely feels like something that should have been like right in the middle because it's, I thought it was just like, you know, a standard mediocre 90s erotic thriller, but it is, I don't want to say it's lynching because I feel like that phrase is overused, but I also do feel like it's very like inspired by, and it's got like this crazy um, color. You should look up some images of it like while I'm talking so you know what I'm talking about. But it's got, like, mm. some really crazy color grading in it. Um, I took a couple shots. There's, like, a split diopter shot in it that I was like, whoa, dear at. But it's, like, it's Brendan Fraser in 1995. And it's just, like, insane. But the reason I was bringing it up is because, like, everything in the movie looks, like, insanely overlit. But, like, it also feels clearly intentional because it has... I mean, I guess Brendan Fraser isn't huge in 1995. But it's got him, it's got Ashley Judd, and it's got Viggo Mortensen. So it's like, well, they have actors, mm-hmm. you know? So, like... Oh, yeah. Do you, you, you see the Ooh, pictures? It's crazy. Um, yeah, they actually have the split diopter shot. It's great. On, it's online. a great split diopter shot. Yeah. Um, I actually recommend it. Yeah. It's a very crazy movie. Um, I kind of lost interest at points, but like by the time it ended, I was like, I'm really glad I watched that. It's very weird. Respect to Brendan Fraser for doing that in um, 1995. You know? Mm-hmm. And yes, I keep yeah. saying Brendan Fraser. Like Kelsey Grammer. I wasn't going to say anything just because of, you know, I don't want to be that guy. But we have now all seen that interview where he says his name. So. But you know, I haven't it's Fraser, seen Fraser, everyone. Have I, I've told you that meme of my mom, right? What? The meme I made. I made my mom a meme. Like, I turned oh her into a meme for my chat. Because. Oh, okay. I think I told you this. Like. An hour, like the day, the morning after the whale premiered at Venice and he got like that standing ovation that went viral, my mom texted me out of nowhere, have you seen the whale? <laughs> oh yeah, I remember this. Yeah. This has come up a few times, I think. I don't think it's come up on the air. I think I've sent it to you. I don't think I brought it up on the air. But anyway, have I seen the whale? No, I still haven't. Mm. Whenever I, if someone asks me if I've seen the whale, I think about my mom. Good times. I fully expect yeah. I'll hate the whale when I see it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I'm I'm you know you're not gonna see it, which is fine. I don't think you need to. Um, I watched Noah. I liked because Noah because I I didn't. You watched Mother. Like, Mother wasn't good. I don't I don't like Mother. I mean, no, but that's my point. I just is like think it's Mother. it's kind of like if you have someone who is you know out there doing doing something that no one else is doing, you know, like I'll probably have to watch Ambulance at some point. And you usually like, like Michael I mean, Bay, I, so hmm? don't you usually like? Yeah, that? I mean, yeah, I mean, I usually do, but I think that's because I have a, I have a, 
affinity for things that look really cool, regardless of and... a lot of other things about them. Um, which is you know whatever. One of my coworkers. Speaking of things about... that look really cool. Okay. Oh, sorry. No, no, no. On. I was gonna say one of my coworkers. Um, she watches movies weekly because her sister works at the movies, and she started talking to me about the Oscars today, and. I was like, well, this year... She was like, I don't like it last year because they didn't nominate any movies I watched. So I'm like, whatever. You know, like, I, that, that's, a, that's a thing I expect from normal people. So instead of, like, fighting it, I'm like, well, you know, this year there's probably going to be a lot of blockbusters nominated. Like, Top Gun, Avatar's going to be nominated. Uh, Elvis will probably be up there. You know, stuff like that. And then she's like, oh, I love Top Gun. I hope that wins. I'm like, well, have you seen everything ever all at once? And she's like, no, what is that? I'm like, you should just watch it. I don't know anyone our age who really, really hates it. You know? Like, older people don't like it. But then she's like, well, I just think Miles Teller should win Best Supporting Actor for Top Gun. I'm like, why? He didn't do anything. She's like, oh, but he's just so good. And I'm like, but... And then later on in the conversation, it was like, well, another nomination is likely to happen that is a movie I know you've seen is um, the person who played the... Uh, Angela Bassett. But I say the person who plays the mom in Black Panther Wakanda Forever is in very heavy consideration for it. And she's like, why? I'm like, what do you mean why? You just said you want Miles Teller to win. She, she And I literally did, I literally did in front of her. I was like, I'm queen of the most powerful nation in the world. And my entire family is gone. Have I not given everything to her? She's like, yeah. So I'm like, what do you mean so? That's what, that is like the textbook of like, what you hear when you go like, what is great acting in an Oscar movie? They would show a clip like that. <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't, to be clear, I don't think Angela Bassett should be nominated, but... It makes sense to nominate her. Mm-hmm. What were you going to say? I just wanted to go on that tangent. I don't know what brought it up. Oh. I just think the idea... The fact that I ran to someone who was honest, like, oh, yeah, Top Gun should definitely win. I was like, what? But then when I brought up Avatar, she's like, oh, Avatar could win, too. I'm like, well, I don't think Avatar should win personally, even as a huge fan of Avatar, until he's done. I think they should Lord of the Rings it. Don't give him any... Don't give him anything until the movies are done. Other than, like, you know, visuals sure. and tech stuff. Mm-hmm. But... I was just going to say, speaking of things that look really cool, yes. I was scrolling down through Darkly Noon, yes. and I found this movie, it's not Darkly Noon, but it's it's this movie starring Rose McGowan, and it's called Lewis and Clark and George, and the poster is just Rose McGowan holding a gun, <laughs> and, <laughs> and I'm like, alright, this, this, film, this film knows what it's about, um, so, yeah, that's that, um, we're kind of getting at time. Do you want to yeah, put we're an also, end to this uh, nonsense? Or yeah, you wanna... socks. They're nice. They're good. Socks, they're it, nice. But it is also just the Incredibles, so it's really hard to break down beyond. I think us talking about student films was a fun little diversion. It worked. Cool. Um, Agreed. So so what would you give this film? Well, this film being... These, what would you give these films? Well, I would... Well, two of them I would give Disney Plus releases to. How about that? Because I do think these... Well, because these are official products that are available on the DVD. They should at least be in the bonus feature section of The Incredibles, and they're not. Right? Um, so I think these should be put on Disney+. Um, Plus um, Because yeah. they're really good. And I think... Especially Mr. Incredible and Pals feels to me like... To me, that should be like an official pick. Like... That does seem like like a lost classic. Like, jumping like ahead a to a, a... I think we'll get to this this year, because we're not going to take that long to get 2009. We went, we went from, you know, like, the 1980s to 2004 and 2022. I'm sure we will get to 2009. But the mm. Up DVD features two short films. It includes the Doug short film, which is the actual short film. And then it includes George and AJ, which is a proposed short film that they 
didn't go forward with, but they're like, well, we did the storyboards anyway, so we'll put them on the DVD. And George and AJ is available on Disney+. Plus. So it's like, to me, of like if of a short film, air quotes, that is just storyboards can be available on Disney+, Plus. Mr. Incredible and Pals definitely should be on there. This isn't something to be embarrassed about. It's really good. Especially with the commentary. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the Incredible Socks would be just fun to have in like the bonus feature section of The Incredibles. Like a silly little bonus feature. Mm-hmm. But, and then for Jack Jack Attack, I, I don't, I don't, I, I, I hate to be like that guy who's like, I don't give it anything, but like, it was made into The Incredibles 2, basically. So it already got, it already got like a big remake in a way. So I'll just say the Disney Plus releases for the other two is what I'm giving. So I want to give this film, we've been, we've been saying a lot of commentary quotes and things like that. I had a good time. I want to give these films a good time. So I'm just going to give it a little sampler of the Robert Pattinson uh, Twilight commentary. Great. I'm glad that exists. Which I think is also... Yeah, that's... that's. Oh, did you not know it exists? No, I didn't know it exists. That's great. Oh my gosh. <laughs> well, Danny, this is a, a gift, my gift to you as well. Oh, thank you. Um, in this shot, I remember I had a piece of wire inside the collar, so it could look rumpled however you want it. The most intense form of pretentious dishevelment I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> Great. There's lots of lots of bangers. You know how I was uh, pitching the Jermaine Clement, Edie Falco, um, Avatar Two commentary. My other pitch is, I want there to be, and I, I don't think it would work because I'm sure they all saw the movie by now. But I want there to be a commentary track of the Batman. Where the context we are given is Colin Farrell is still shooting, even though I don't think this is accurate with timelines, but Colin Farrell is still shooting the Banshees of Inisherin at this time, and he takes the four leads to the movie to do a commentary track while they other three, all four of them watch it for the first time, and then at the moment at the end where Barry Keegan shows up as the Joker, and Colin Farrell just goes, "What? <laughs> You're in this movie." Directly to his face. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's what I want. And I want Brendan Gleeson there just being like, Colin, why do I have to go? I can't do an Irish. That's like the one thing I can't do is an Irish accent. But like, not Irish. Yeah, it is Irish, right? Fucking Irish. Uh, he is. He's Irish. Yeah, well, the movie is. Everyone in Banshee's Man Sharon and have the Irish accent, at least in the movie. Um, yeah. So I want that. And I want. Brendan Gleeson be like, can I just go? Can I do that the entire time? Anyway. Honestly, I think that's I, maybe more... It, I want, it deserves I want, everything. Yeah, yeah. It just deserves commentary checks. Everything deserves commentary checks. Mm-hmm. Give me the Jack-Jack well, commentary on Jack-Jack attack. I think yeah. I'm so glad we did a commentary track in this episode. That seems so long ago. Yeah, we said you wanted to do a commentary track and then it happened. Yeah, Great. Time what is are a we flat doing circle. Next time? next time, next time. What? That's from rev up those fires because we're going to. I don't know why I said that. <laughs> we're what? going to. What are we doing? Um, do something very special next time, and that is we are going to talk about a feature-length film. Oh my Whoa. gosh! When was the last time we did this? And it wasn't about directed by James Cameron. Um, it's been about a month. I feel. Yeah. Like. Um. Feels longer than that. I don't know why. But we're going on a detour. Um, Because we are now in the year, I believe, 2005. I believe this film is still in 2005. 
a quick check. Mm-hmm. Yes, it is still in 2005, which means, unfortunately, and very sadly, we are coming about across the, um, we're about to hit, well, I think actually in 2005, and before this movie comes out, we hit the death of Joe Ranth. Um, and mm-hmm. one of his final credits is um, executive producer, and this is his only executive producer ever credit ever in history of Corpse Bride. So we're going to talk about Corpse Bride, a movie that I have never seen. Mm. So I'm not sure that I've seen it, but yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it too. We have a very special guest. Um, we do have a very special guest. So should I say who it is, or do you want to say who it is? <laughs> oh, yeah, it's Bethany Brown, who's a friend of ours from school. Yep. And and she also is doing other things, and we'll talk about that too. Um, what else she'll be doing? The Letterbox game. Uh, yep. Get wrecked. Wahoo! Really excited about that one because this is another one that we're gonna shoot like two days before I cut it together. Yeah. So. <laughs> yep. So. Okay. All right. Yeah. Well, we'll see you um, then. I guess I don't know. I don't have a joke. Yeah. How did they end the other commentary one? No. If one of them just sit up and walked away. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Great. Imagine we're doing that. <laughs> Looking for the Ocean is produced by Mark Young and Danny Vincent. Our original artwork was done by Sarah Knopf, and each episode is edited by me. If you'd like to be notified about new episodes, you can find us on Facebook at Looking for the Ocean of Pixar Journey, on Twitter at Pixar Journey, on Instagram at Looking for the Ocean Pod, and on our website, lookingfortheoceanpixar.podbean.com. If you want to know what I'm up to or find me on social media, you can head over to markyoungperformer.com. And if you'd like to see all my takes on all the movies, you can find me on Letterboxd at Blankman's. If you'd like to hear me on another podcast, I also have The Snub Club, a podcast about film history. We'll see you next time. See you next time.